Yo, yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome to another brand new episode of the Chart Topping Award-winning podcast, Behind the Baller. This is a Dust Brothers production, and today, y'all, we take it back to the Bay one more again. All right, yep. We got a very, very special guest on today's show from the number one Netflix show, Last Chance You. We got Coach Beam in the house. Yes, sir. Coach Beam of Laney College. Uh, We get into the town, you know, being a coach, all that, the show, his Korean heritage. You know, man, I was fucked up when I found out he was part Korean. Speaking of Korean, if you didn't know, now you do. I am your host, the Korean John Cusack, the original washed lord, Odessu, but most of you know me as Ben Baller, not Ben Humble. What's up, y'all? Let's get this fucking show started. So I hope you guys had a good week. Um, I did a little car shopping this week. I know. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> but uh, I did. We're doing some cleanup, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're doing some some essential shit. You know, I told you we need, we need a family car and whatever. So um, I copped two new whips, right? I was supposed to have the first Cadillac, new body, 2021 Escalade coming in. But the dude from GM kept, I don't know, man. He just went ghost. Kept telling me he was getting pushed back. And I do know that no one got one. And I was supposed to have it like two, three months before most people. And I don't know. You know, I'm just like, I got a track hawk. And I was like, man, I don't really want a second American car, do I? And what? And I'm just trying to figure this all out right now, like in a perfect world. Um, So, you know, I decided to check for some other luxury seven-seater SUVs because, you know, I want to have space for me, my wife, three kids, and obviously one or two people at the very least, but comfortably. So I need something with a lot, lot of power too. The minivan wasn't cutting it, dog. You know, I need a V. I need some motherfucking power. You know, being in the track hawk and being in the range and being in the fucking double R, you know, I just need that power. So um, I came across the Mercedes-Benz website. I saw the GLS 63 and I was like, okay, you know. And then I saw the GLS 600, the Maybach SUV, right? And like, well, it's a four-seater, so it defeats the purpose. And to be honest with you, you know what, man? The, the Maybach GLS 600, it would be fucking sicker if it was a six-seater. The fact that it's a four-seater is kind of whack because that's like the body shape ain't sexy. If you was going to do a Maybach, why don't you do it on the G63? Why you do it on that? Like extend the G63. It just doesn't make sense. And I don't know, man. Anyways, so after messing around with the G63, uh, I mean the GLS 63, it, it just wasn't up to par for what I need. And, and lo and behold, from fucking browsing the internet, my dream SUV pulled up for real. All right. I had no idea that BMW even started to make an X7. And I, I don't know. I don't look at BMWs. I, my BMW dealer who I bought eight cars from, bought eight BMWs from this dude. I literally told him on my X5M, I was like, hey, bro, I'm done. Like, I, I probably never get to BMW again because there's no reason to. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't tripping on the X7, but it was like, okay, they make a three-row you know, SUV finally, right, to compete with the Range Rover. I was like, that's cool. And that's not the dream SUV I'm talking about. But their flagship car for BMW is currently the Alpina B7, right? It's about 150, well, 130 to up to 160,000, right? 
And um, I think they make Al Alpina B fucking eight or B six, where the fuck it is. Anyways, their seven series sedan is their their flagship, right? And I'm just browsing through BMWUSA.com, and they have an all new XB7 Alpina SUV, which happens to come out next year, right? But the early, early, early like big dealerships are getting them in December. So I hit my boy Ewan up. His name is Ewan for real. You win, right? That's a great name. I hit him up. He's at Irvine BMW. He's a sales manager there. I was like, hey, bro, like what's really good, homie? Long time no talk. You know what's good? And he's like, yeah, man, everything's good. Good to hear from you. We chop it up. I was like, all right, stop playing games, bro. What's up with this XB7? And he tells me, he goes, hey, man, we're one of the only dealerships that's getting one, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I need a black on black. And these are the options that I have to have. Everything after that, I don't give a fuck. Cool if they do, whatever. And uh, he's like, yo, it's yours. Done. And I'm like, okay, beautiful. So I, I cop that. It's got almost 700 horsepower and it seats seven. It's got the sickest fucking interior. Like they really, look at man, BMW always fucks it up with the fucking electronics. They kill it. It's got a full body kit and this bitch comes with 23s. So it's, it's red to go. All right. I don't need to fucking do shit to it. I'm just going to throw some light accent paint in order. You got the black trim, but there's like some like aluminum shadow trimming there's like weird like little parts on the body kit I'm, I'm, that's just going to platinum motorsport and it's going to be all black you know what i'm saying i'm done we're going to trade the fucking uh the double r in and that's it and then um i feel like i was like lacking because uh, i don't have the gtc for luso anymore i feel like i need a replacement for that you know like and not necessarily an exotic but i need like a a four-seater coupe so i went ahead and copped the fucking new body 992 porsche turbo s Spec'd it out really nice. That motherfucker's in production right now. Um, of course, all my cars come in noir, black on black. And I'm also getting the car at the exact same time. Well, not exact, but probably within a week of each other. But this car comes in early December. I think the XB7 is going to come like mid-December. And uh, the Porsche 911 Turbo S, that bitch is ready to go too. You know what I'm saying? I got the I got the best wheels with it. I don't think I'm going to fuck with some wheels. You know what I'm saying? But the new Turbo S 911 is faster than the fucking 918, all right? This motherfucker is faster than a fucking Pista. It is faster than an SV Lamborghini. This bitch is crazy fast, all right? And it got four seats. So London Rider could ride. And tell you the truth, I could be in that bitch and have London in the front seat. Now he's eight, he's tall as shit, he's big enough. Could have Ryder and Kai in the back. But most importantly, this car could be driven daily. It could be daily driven, all right? And my wife can drive it anytime which causes no drama. Like, you know, I want my, my wife loves Porsche. When we first started dating, she actually had a Porsche, which is kind of crazy. Um, I think I'm just going to only do maybe a tune. I might do an exhaust. I don't know. I just kind of want to just drive this bitch. You know, we'll see. Because the car don't really sound that great as it is, man. Porsches just don't, at least the turbos just don't sound great. 911s don't. The GT3, GT2, well, GT3 for sure. GT3 RS, those sound amazing. Carrera GT, 918 sounds good, but the fucking Porsche Turbos 911 is just, ugh. I'm definitely going to do some lowering springs, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I just don't think I'm going to do wheels, man. I'm going to lower that bitch, make that, maybe throw out some spacers, some hub-centric spacers. In fact, you know, I started browsing these car pages because I just late at night putting the kids to sleep. I'm like, all right, let me look at some car pages, start bored, thinking about work and whatever else. And I go on Instagram and I see like, these guys go so fucking hard on these pages and like, just to make content. I mean, God bless them, right? You know, they got nothing else to the fucking, you know, they're creating content and they're raising the bar for 
creating content, you know. But these wheel brands, you know, they're going hard body, you know, and they're selling wheels too in the pandemic, whatever, anytime they're just, or, you know, they're putting wheels on, they're, they're doing renderings. All this I hate, nobody hates a fucking render or fake, like when someone makes the car look lower than it actually is or like doing like, oh, this is my concept. Fuck, shut the fuck up. Fuck are you, man? It's a science class. The fuck, this ain't show and tell. Like, dog, I don't want to see that shit. Like, if that shit ain't coming out or don't exist, the fuck you doing? Like, oh man, leave people alone. They want man, shut the fuck up. I, I just, man. But like, I see these wheel brands. Like HRE back in the day, they would never ever. They didn't even fucking make a twenty-two. You know, now they make big wheels. They had to cater to shit, and it's just the way the world is. And I try to say this shit a long time ago, but you know, on S classes, sedans, coupes, you know, whatever, cool. But when you got an exotic car, like, what the fuck are you doing putting big wheels in exotic cars? Like, like this company, um, Anarchy Wheels, they make some fire wheels. They got the aggressive fitments. They got that shit super great. Like, they, they got that shit. The stance is perfect, everything, right? But the issue is you can't drive the fucking car the way it needs to be driven. I've even commented, be like, yo, those are 22s. Like, all right, that's cool. So what do you do when you're like trying to pull up and, you know, and smash on somebody and, you know, someone wants to pull up and, oh, well, you know, it could still, no, it can't. No, it can't. In fact, it's, it, you fuck the warranty. You avoid the warranty. Okay. You cannot drive an exotic car the way it needs to be driven when you got 22s on it. It's fucking lame. That's just like some Florida shit. It's some Miami shit. It's just real corny. You are never supposed to put 22-inch wheels on an Aventador or a 488 or any kind of like. If you have an older car and it's, it's a wrap for you, I mean, you would want to have the extra power. You know, maybe go an inch up and do staggered fitment. But like, really, that shit's made for like, you know, when I had an FF, I had 22 in the rear 21. I went up one size, right? Um, staggered. GTC4 Lusso, same thing. A12, maybe, you know. But if you're doing magnesium wheels and they're lighter, cool. And, you know, and, and they're, you know, they're like you get really the most perfect offset. Okay, cool. If you got BBSs, I'm not mad at you. Most people who do BBSs though, they're doing it for the look. They're doing the width. They're doing the step lip and they're doing that shit because it's light and strong. They want strong wheels. But when I see a 21 inch and 22 inch staggered wheel set up on a McLaren 720S, I'm like, yeah, man, that shit looks dope, man. But what's the point? Now the car can't drive anywhere. Like it, it, nowhere near as fast as it, as it should. All right. And you could fuck up the rear differential like real bad. You could fuck up the car, you know? And again, you know, um, some of these cars with like wheel locks and shit, you'll fuck around and avoid the warranty. So what are you doing? Just doing it all for looks? Man, fuck that shit, man. Slam that bitch on the ground with some Novatech. If it's got air suspension, whatever. I don't fuck with the... There's no way I'm ever going to fuck with the air ride until you can really drive the way you need to drive. And it's not there yet. I know it's good on some cars, but it's not there yet. Okay. If you got a dope-ass exotic car that's fast, if you notice most of mine, if I did wheels, all I did was I kept the same diameter size, okay? But I made the width fatter in the rear mostly, okay? On the Pista, I didn't even fucking put wheels. I did fucking spacers, and I lowered that bitch on the ground. That motherfucker drove incredible. Now, if I was going to do wheels, they would only be BBSs or something super light, but again, you defeat the purpose of having a fast car by putting bigger wheels on it. Now imagine, imagine you have a dope-ass HK, you know, a Glock, whatever the fuck it is, whatever your favorite gun is, okay? And imagine making it all gold, okay? That shit would look hard as fuck. But guess what? Now you can't shoot nobody. You can't shoot the gun the same. 
It's the same fucking concept. It's just for looks. It's just for fucking Instagram. You know, and that's fucking lame. I live in the real world. I actually see guys in comments saying, well, who wants to drive fast? That's stupid. What is this, Fast and the Furious? Driving fast is dangerous. What? What? You little bitch ass wussy. What the fuck? What, what are you talking about? That's just see cornballs, man. They just want to cruise Sunset Boulevard. They just want to cruise Ocean Ave. They just want to get like, like, oh man, just get bitches. Like, bro, like, that, you, you are not a car enthusiast, man. You don't, the fuck are you talking about, bro? Like, you're just you're fucking weirdos, man. These cars are meant to be pushed to the limit. You need to drive these motherfuckers fast. Putting big ass wheels on exotic cars is how you break them. Okay, dumb fucks? Instagram is really fucked up a lot of things, okay? Of course, they fucked up girls' perception of what a body should look like with all these surgeries. I had one of my homegirls tell me the other day, she goes, oh, I just, I'm getting my ass done. And I'm like, what the, f- are, you, are you like, what? It's like, it's too late now, I already paid for it, I'm, I'm getting my ass done. And it's just like, the surgery shit is just crazy. And then if they're not doing surgery, they're just doing fucking crazy Photoshop in their face. Like, bitch, people see you in person. Like, the fuck is up with you? You got jewelry game fucked up. Right? The jewelry game's all fucked up on Instagram. It's all, it all lighting and the right this, that, and the third and shit ain't even fucking real. And then, of course, now the car pages. Just a bunch of weirdos. Right? And I get it. Some of these guys are just, they're dreamers. They're enthusiasts. You know, and they, they appreciate the cars. But sometimes these dudes get carried away. And I'm like, yo, you got to chill. All right? Your page got a little popular, you know what I'm saying? Well, you got 120,000 followers. Some of these pages do have a million followers, you know? It's like you copy and paste photos. You're not better than anybody else. How the fuck are you going to talk shit to somebody who got a Huracan and whatever when you fucking driving a fucking BMW 1 Series? The fuck out of here, you know? It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Bottom line is level up, you know? I'm just... I, I, no more cornball shit. Uh, what else? So I see the internet wants to cancel Ice Cube. Um, I, I said early on, you know, when he started talking, uh, you know, on some real deep... He was getting spooky. He was talking on some real deep uh, militant shit. Um, he's always been pro-black. I get it. You know, uh, four years ago, five years ago, he tweeted, I will never motherfucking endorse Donald Trump. And I, I believe him. And, um, you know, Donald Trump's made advisor said, oh, we're in discussions with, you know, with Cube. He don't realize they're using him. And he thinks in a way he's smarter than them. And maybe he is. But what he's doing is just the timing is off. Because I get what he's doing with his black movement and, and what he's got going on. The only issue is the other people and most black people, they're not on the same page as him. And even if Cube means well, like I said, his timing is off like fuck, period, okay? He wants to know what Donald Trump has to offer, and then he also wants to know what the Democratic candidate Biden has to offer, what they're going to do for black people. What are you going to do for us? How are you going to get my vote? You can't just get my vote that easy. And he said the Dems were like, we'll talk about this after the election. He's like, nah, fuck that. So I'm going to go talk to the Republican Party, Dr. Trump. Look, man, it, this is crazy, all right? He's like, there needs to be some, some money set aside for black people. This is the issue. I'm just speaking on behalf of me, right, of Asians, right? If Asians were oppressed for 400 years, and I couldn't imagine, 
okay? And thousands of Asians were killed every year from cops and racism and everything else and boom, whatever. And I was in Q's position and I'm like, you know, have a, a very big voice. And I do have, I'm sure a certain big voice, but it's like, you know what, man? No one wants to, what I got to say is going to be too crazy. So I just talk my shit here on the podcast, right? But if I was in Q's position and it was about Asians, I wouldn't give a fuck if Trump guaranteed a trillion dollars for Asian people. And I'm being serious. Like he really, it was really going to happen, okay? I wouldn't care, all right? It, fuck all that. You know what? We got to get Trump out of office, period. Ain't no discussions or nothing. I don't want to hear, even if it's it just, it don't matter. He's got to go. That's it. There's no, he's had seven strikes. He's, he's out. It's done. We got to get him out of the fucking office, period, okay? Deal with that shit on the next round of fucking Democrat or Republicans or anyone who isn't a pig or racist, okay? And I get the, I don't need to like you to do business with you. This is deeper than business. This is running the country, all right? It's way deeper than that. You're talking about the most powerful man in the country, if not even in the world, okay? You can't accept money from someone who's a fucking known racist. He is then technically buying your vote. So even if there's money given up for your cause, his power is going to trump yours. Pun completely fucking intended, all right? Now, on the flip side, Biden it ain't like Biden's a great choice, okay? That's why I said this before. Would you rather get slapped in the face or would you rather get kicked in the nuts? You obviously know slapped in the face is Biden and kicked in the nuts is Trump, right? Okay, do you value your dick? You know, do you want to have kids? You know, think about it, okay? Well, if you don't vote, you're going to get kicked in the nuts. So you might as well take the slap and let's keep this shit pushing forward with the less division in our country because there's already so much fucking just drama going on in our country right now. It's a big fucking mess out there, okay? Also, let me say this. I, nobody was a bigger Ice Cube fan during his real heyday. During the fucking late 80s and early 90s, man, I'm telling you, he, this dude is, I literally idolized him. He was, he was fucking incredible. But I'm going to say this, man. Ice Cube is worth $300 million, okay? I love what he has done, but there's some sus shit going on, and I had to address it. His son is my daughter. That's my homie. But, I, you know, that's, I just got to say what I have to say. I'm never mad for anybody back in their family, whatever. But what's crazy is, you know, Cube owns, he co-owns the big three, right, the basketball league. His co-founder partner of the big three is fucking Trump's like buddy. So who, who fucking knows? I don't know. You know what? I'm starting to get a fucking headache. So you know what? It's time to take a little break. All right. We're going to come back with this fire ass interview with my Korean homie, Coach Beam. Yo, Miles, do me a favor, homie. Hit the people off with some Lakey Lake and we'll be right back. check game you know how the price of gold has been skyrocketing lately right there's an easy way to buy gold through our friends at acre acre lets you subscribe to gold bars for as little as 30 dollars a month you pay each month and once your gold stash reaches the price of their gold bars they discreetly ship acre gold to your house and just recently acre has introduced a new $100 a month subscription to 
into a 5-gram gold bar. Acre lets you invest in physical gold without coming out of the pocket all at once. Acre keeps you updated via email on your gold stash every month and ships out once you reach the price threshold. With Acre, taking physical delivery of your gold means it's safe and sound in your hands. Acre ships your gold directly and discreetly to your door. Visit getacregold.com forward slash baller and start investing in physical gold today. Make sure you go to this URL because Acre is giving away gold. To qualify for the giveaway, tweet or post why you should be the recipient and mention at get underscore Acre. All right, again, that's getacregold.com forward slash baller. Thank you, Acre Gold, for supporting the show. Yo, man, you are listening to Behind the Baller. We got a very special guest on this episode. And you know, the funny thing is I've had to push three other guests out the way because I got so obsessed with this particular story. Everyone listening to this episode right now, you know how deep my ties to the Bay are. Um, I just broke down the story this last week when I just got back from San Francisco two days ago. And you know the story of how I hated the Bay Area. I was forced to go there. I thought I'd have been All-American in high school if I didn't get pushed over to the Bay. And then, you know, I end up still getting a scholarship and uh, passing the 880 freeway. You can't miss that fluorescent sign and see that Laney College sign. You know what I mean? It's, it's really like a special vibe, right? And um, if you guys have watched the show, Last Chance You, it's obviously a very successful show on Netflix. I hadn't even watched the first two or three seasons at all whatsoever, some girl, a girl of all people, a girl is like, hey, you got to watch the show. And I was like, wait, I've had all my NFL clients, all my, you know, friends tell me about the show and I didn't really care until she said something and I saw Lainey and I was like, hold on, let me see. And from the first episode, it was so real, the way it was put together and everything. Yo, listen, ladies and gentlemen, we have Coach John Beam from Last Chance U from Laney College on Behind the Baller. What's good, John? What's cracking, baby? I love it. BB, I'm JB. Let's make this happen, baby. (laughs) Two claps. Ready, ready? Yeah, man, two claps. Man, you know what? Let's get right into it. I really want to just, first of all, I got to say thank you to that guy, Paul. I don't even know him, you know what I mean? He just, he had like, I seen the tweet. And I got a lot of crazy tweets and people that hit me up and, and was like, nah, get the fuck out of here. You really interviewed? I was like, okay. And uh, like, Coach Lee, like I've had George Lopez. I've had like a lot of people on the show, but like this is like something special because I have something with the Bay. Um, I didn't listen to the episode. I should listen to it. But um, I don't know if he told you, but uh, I played ball in college. I mean, high school. Well, start off in high school. I played at Beverly Hills High School. We had a really good program. Um, they actually made a TV show out of it called All American. It's man, you know, you know, my boy is one of the lead writers for the show All American. Get oh, out of here, check okay. it out. So, <laughs> um, I graduated in '91. In '89, uh, '90, I was All City, All CIF, All State, everything. Right? I was just a bad kid. I got in trouble a lot. You know, I was just obviously I didn't wasn't a Beverly Hills person. I was from Koreatown, from LA, from the hood. So, you know, I was getting in trouble all the time, a bunch of rich kids, whatever. And so I just got, I finally got kicked out of school and my dad couldn't take care of me no more. He's like, yo, man, 
you on your own, you know, you're just fucking up. You know, I was on some, I, everyone that I've seen on your show, I felt all their stories, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so um, my brother was going to Cal and he was finishing school and my dad was like, hey man, could you please take him? I was like, no, nah, I'm not going up there. What the fuck are you talking about? And, um, you know, it was already too late because I was like already being recruited by schools. And uh, I played basketball too. So I ended up going to a small school in the Bay Area called Albany High in East Bay. You know, real small school. We weren't like anything like, but you know, the crazy thing was we played Oakland Tech. We played against Bishop O'Dowd. Our team was very average, but I still was, I was okay with my recruit. So it was, it was kind of crazy. I ended up getting a scholarship to Cal. I played cornerback. I played receiver in high school. I played safety in high school. But when I went to college, I ended up playing DB, right? Um, I redshirted my freshman year there. I was in the Clark Kerr dorms. Uh, Schneider was my coach there. Our DB coach is a guy named Woodruff. That's when I knew I wasn't shit. You know, um, how do I say this? Uh, I would make fun of people at junior colleges. I started realizing that a lot of people that were at Cal were from uh, CSM, College of San Mateo, from other uh, small colleges all over the place. And I was like, damn. And, I, I, you know, it was a weird thing being in college. You know, my first day, someone stole my shoes because I was the only Asian on the team. It was a hundred of us. It was like a weird time because we were doing hell weeks and the combine, I never did a combine. I never, I didn't even know what the fuck was going on. Like I, it was a different time back in the early nineties. And uh, I was the only Asian on the team. They stole my shoes and, uh, you know, we played on turf and everything. So like it was like I had Jordan, so I was okay. And then I would go run to the sideline during practice and I'm talking coach, I would be off the field and I would get hit full blown, hundred percent as hard as someone could hit me off the field. Like the whistle been blown. They're about to play, run the next play. And, you know, I would get, I would get punk like that. And I was like, okay. So finally towards the end of the year, I snapped. Like I lost, I got that Korean rage, right? Korean men have really bad tempers. <laughs> <laughs> I get that Korean rage and I lost my fucking mind. I just went crazy. I just, something clipped. I went to Waterboy, Bobby Boucher. And I just started hitting motherfuckers left and right. And I just think, you know, something changed. The fucked up part about it was my coach, Woodruff, he got, a, I guess, better pay, which doesn't make sense. D1, he went to D2, went across the bay to SF State. And so I went with him because I knew, you know, I'd get my playing time because I wasn't playing. We had Russell White. We had uh, uh, nobody really great, man. Like, see, uh, there's a dude named Michael Davis who actually played at St. Mary's in Berkeley. was Albany. Yeah. And he, he, yeah. He, was, he was over there. Anyways, so I went to SF State and I'd be in a, a well, I was in the rotation. I was in the second string. So um, whatever, we lost our program my junior year. And um, when I was in, in high school, when I finished up at Albany, I would practice and there was a gym on San Pablo, kind of like Berkeley, Albany, whatever it was, Gold's Gym or World Gym, I forgot what it was. And I'd do my workouts there and getting ready for the season. And uh, I was taking some classes at Alameda just to finish up some, some stuff. And I'd always see Laney. And this is way back. This is 89, you know, or 90, right? 1990. And just... Never in a million years did I know that small-ass school had a football team. So one, I know that was a long-ass intro, but I wanted you to understand where my roots came from and then I ended up you know, graduating from a school in the Bay in San Francisco, in the city. I have had an apartment in the, in the city for three years now. I've had nothing but insane love for the Bay. You know, I'm born and raised in LA, you know, and uh, something about that season 
I watched the other seasons that I couldn't get past like an episode or one, two episodes. I was like, nah, fuck this. Your season, your your story fucked me up so bad in so many different ways. I connected with RJ because me and my dad went, you know, had a fucked up relationship. It actually triggered emotions that I had with that. When I seen uh, Dior's story, I just seen a lot of other people's stories. I was like, damn, man. Like, and I just really fell in love with this particular Last Chance You season. So, you know, I'm so excited to have you on. And um, I just want to kind of start from, because like some of the people, my listeners, they might not know, but um, can you start with where you grew up, man? So, you know, we got, I'm listening to your story, but we got some good things. So I grew up in San Diego, okay. right? You know, my dad, my dad was in the Navy, met my mom in Korea. So, you know, we got that hop of love, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> my cousins live right there in Hancock Park, right? It's a Korean town. You know what I mean? So we right there. Uh, my quarterback coach is uh, right there, went to Albany, right? So, he's, oh, you know, shit. he's a guy on the show, Rob. And then my O-line coach slash offensive coordinator, Jeff Hagenson, he was on that team with you at um, San Francisco State when they dropped football. What's his name? Jeff Hagenson. Hey, white boy, about 6'2", 6'2", played some safety, linebacker. Okay, yeah, so, so my junior year – was after that we lost our program. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay. Yep. That's yep. Nuts, and then man. you know, I had my boy was at Cal at the time you were there. Uh, Sean Buller was a tight end. Yeah, Sean Buller was our just yeah tight end. Yeah. That's my that was my tight end. Man, he came from Scotland. I coached him. In fact, my daughters live right next door to his mom and daddy right now. <laughs> oh shit. So when you talk about you know this is kind of uh, cosmic right now, brother. You know, like see, we need to sit back. You know, and just I mean, we need to talk. This. We need to talk off the show. Like this is yeah, really man, this crazy. Is great. But this is awesome. So yeah, so you know, the show is awesome, right? It, it got this. So it told the story, like you said, right? When we saw Last Chance You in Mississippi, when we see it in Kansas, they're on scholarship. They live in dorms. They live. They live. They have fit, you know cafeterias and all of that. So we we don't we know that they come from bad backgrounds and you know disenfranchised youth and all that. But in our show, you see it because they're li actually living at home or in the case of your living in a car, right? Trying to, you know, the grind, you know what I mean? So, or you have the gentrification that's pushed, you know, people of color out of Oakland, right? So like Ray, his people were living in Oakland. She's a law, his mama's a longshoreman, but to buy a house to support her, her family, she got to move out to Stockton, which is like an hour and a half drive. Yeah. So that she could come in. And, while he was a senior and his brother was a freshman at our place, you know, his daddy got into, you know, was a barber. They had a little barbecue at the barbershop. You know how it goes. Words get said. Things started to happen. His dad tries to break it up. Next thing, gun comes out and his father was shot and killed. Yeah. So those are all the true stories of what happens in a place like L.A., but more importantly, like in Oakland, where I'm from. Right. And, uh, you know, and I say I'm from there, even though I was born in San Diego and I was raised in San Diego, I went to high school in San Diego. I played J.C., in San Diego Mesa, but really I've had, you know, I've cut my teeth in Oakland here now for 40 years, right? So right. I was in, in San Diego for about 18, you know what I mean? I spent four years in Japan and then, um, so the rest has really been here in Oakland. And so this city has really adopted me, you know, and said, look, we, we don't let you be a part of this city because you can rock with us, right? You understand the struggle, you're a part of it. And you stand up for what we stand up for, which is good the grind. You look at Damon Lillard, Gary Payton, right? Marshawn Lynch. When you look at the athletes that come out of here, right? 
they are not celebrated because they're smooth. They're celebrated because they grind, you know, they made themselves, right? You know, Gary was famous for talking shit to people before talking shit became the big thing now, right? Before all the stuff happened, He's right? so Oakland, man. Gary's so exactly. Oakland. Exactly. But, you know, you see Dame. Dame is smooth and everything. But when it comes time, he's going to put that three in your face. He's going to go just like this, right? Dame yeah. time, baby. Let you know. He just walks off. And so, and you know, Marsan, you know, with a nickname Beast Mode, you can imagine what he does to folks, right? And he don't say nothing. He just runs over you. And so that's what the city is like, you know. And if you grew up, and I know you said you grew up, you went to school in Beverly Hills, but you're from K-Town. Well, you know how it is in K-Town. There's a constant struggle. There's a cultural struggle going on. There's generationals, right? I'm sure a lot of your issues that you had growing up with your father was that you were, you know, Americanized in essence, right? You you trying to figure out what's going on here and your dad's still living on to traditions, right? And so you have that struggle going right there. And then, you know, just being identified, you know, for us that are here, you know, Koreans are a hip, right? But we got to find our place sometimes of where we fit in, right? And, you know, because we're not, we're, we're seen kind of as outsiders by everybody, right? But we got game, you know, we got we got skill sets that we can get on the court, we can get on the field and do what we got to do. And at the same time, we do have that Korean anger, right? So we yeah. don't let it come out <laughs> at times, right? You know, and people are like kind of shocked by it, right? You know, like don't, you know, don't get it twisted. You know what I mean? When it comes time, don't let me go off, right? Yeah. And so, and my temper is nothing like my mama's temper was. Holy smoke! Oh my right? god, my so mom will fuck some, My mom will still fuck somebody up right now. She's almost eighty years old, man. My mom will kill somebody. <laughs> She's scary as hell still. When she gets mad, it's on. She quiet, quiet, quiet. Then bam, it's gone. Right? Yep. That's how my mama was. So I didn't know. So when I came to Oakland, I fit right in. You know what I mean? It was a good thing. You know what? Let me ask you something, man. Because you know, I got like I remember back in the day when, I, when it was a culture shock. Last time I had been to the Bay that I remember was, you know, I was under 10 years old. You know, you see the San Francisco, you see the Golden Gate Bridge, whatever, you're a kid. I'm going as like, like, I'm not a virgin anymore. You know what I mean? I'm trying to get pussy. I'm trying to be like, bro, I'm like, I'm a popular guy in school. You know, I play ball. I'm in the newspaper. Like, you know, it's it's a fucked up thing to go to, to be at school with 3,000 kids, go to kids with like celebrity children, whatever. And there's like opportunity left and right. And then I go to a 700 student school in a one square mile place where the police have the second fucking fastest 911 response time. They fucking hate anybody that looked like they're into some shit. And it was just like a, it was a culture shock to me, right? So like, I had a job at Burger King. Now I'm really just humble, making 375 an hour. And everyone that worked in the kitchen with me and all these dudes, they was all troublemakers. They were from, they were from Acorn. They was from West Oakland. Yeah. And, they, they, and yeah. I was like, hey, man, what the fuck is Acorn? Okay, cool. Take me over there. Let's go. You know, I grew up in L.A. Like, I've been through Compton, Watts, you know, South Central. It's nothing. I go to Acorn, and I was like, hey, bro. See, something about L.A. is there's no really no project housing. You could be in South Central, and you're going to get killed there. It's dangerous. But you won't be able to tell because the places look kind of decent, you know, like somewhat. Yep. You know, there yep. is one area, Jordan Downs and Watts, where it's like real project. But it's not like back in East St. Louis or like even like Hunter's Point when it was, you know what it was. Just I got an acorn and I'm like, oh shit. You know, it's three in the morning and there's fucking four-year-old kids on the street. You already know some shit's going down. Like I'm like, okay, fuck. And um I remember they're like, hey, you want to go play basketball? And I was like, nah, man, I'm cool, man. What the fuck are you talking about? It's, it's late as hell. And they're like, nah, man, bro, we gotta go play, you know. And so I remember we were we were in Oakland, and there was this legend, this street legend named Hook. Demetrius Mitchell, this yep. dude was shorter than me. I'm six feet, right? 
this dude was dunking. He was fucking dunking. I mean, Lillard can't dunk like this. It was just, it was unbelievable to see what this guy was doing in the streets. And like MC Hammer had pulled up, was you know throwing money in the air. And it was like, you know, that era. And I was like, damn, man, I was going to the Eastmont Mall. And like, you know, yep. the sideshows were going on. And, and this was really the OG shit. And I connected with Richie Rich and 415 and all them. And I got to really kind of meet some amazing people. Like, you know, people call me the Forrest Gump of hip hop because I've had such a crazy life with being in the music industry, working with Tupac, working with Jay-Z. I was Dr. Dre's vice president of A&R for his record label. And then becoming a famous jeweler, having my own TV show. And just the crazy stories I've had, it all somehow comes to the Bay. And I think about Oakland, I think about the town. And, you know, after so many years, I think I took a good 10-year hiatus about 10 years, I didn't come to the Bay. It was long, I don't know why, but I didn't come to the Bay. I was just enjoying Los Angeles, Hollywood, everything. I come back, and I'm like, where the fuck is East 14th Street? And they're like, oh, it's not East 14th Street anymore. Well, like the International. Yeah, and I'm like, wait a second. What are you talking about? Bro, that's ESO, Eastside Oakland. Is, wait, what? And they're like, nah, bro, it's, it's some shit's changed. And then I seen some, like five, six years later, I see some white people walking. And I'm like, wait a second, hold on. I'm, bro, are they gentrifying? He's like, dog, people live in Sacramento to go to work in San Francisco. That's how expensive everything is. There's nothing in Oakland. I was like, Oakland is not affordable. And like, Ben, people are living in the lofts in East Oakland. Like, white people are like, like, it's not affordable anymore. And like, in the first episode, you said $800,000 house. And you know what the funny thing is? I don't think there's $800,000 houses right now. I think they're at a million, right? Can be, yes, so sir. yeah, so I'm like, and and obviously you go to Piedmont and everything else, it gets crazy. So I just, uh, I, you know, everything that this guy is saying right now, for those who are from Cali, you you get it. Oakland is almost like a different state. It's almost a whole. It's almost country. It's like a different part of California. It's not really. It's really its own base. And um, there was this place called Flint's Barbecue back in the day. I used to go to. Yep. Flint's was the shit. And I used to go because our school was obviously not a major school. I would go see, you know, um, Skyline play because I hate De La Salle. I don't know what it was. I hated De La Salle. Couldn't stand that school, even though I went to Beverly Hills High, right? But De La Salle was <laughs> like, it just seemed privileged to me, you know, like they had all the right things going for them. And so, you know, I would go watch these things. And then I guess you coached at Skyline, right? 22 years, brother. Beat De La Salle, too. Yeah. And, you, <laughs> and um, so let me ask you, were you the coach there like in 1990? Yeah. Since okay. 19, I've been there since 1982. Okay, so I went and watched these games and <laughs> not knowing that you were the coach there and I'm just finding out right now in real time. So that's really kind of fucked me up. And then, um, you know, I just got friends who went to, to Skyline and I remember in 90 or 91, Skyline went to the state championship to play against Fremont High School and they played at Oakland Arena in basketball and there was a dude named Eric Ford who played for Crenshaw and, you know, just seeing Skyline, I was like, oh shit, and we're in Oakland, you know, we're... I'm taking the BART exit in fucking Hegenberger, you know, and it was just a trip. And I just can't believe that this is a full circle moment to like vibe off it, you know, and just hear you, you know, you are in the flesh and like, look at man, I don't know if you did any research on me. I deal with like a list. I made Michael Jackson's jewelry for the whole entire you know, last year of his life. And, you know, I've met sultans and people and I'm literally kind of starstruck by having you on here because I had so much love for Skyline the Bay Area sports and just that whole thing. So um, I was just going to ask you, man, you said you played ball at, uh, you played JC, right? Yep. What position did you play? 
So I'm a, I was an all-conference left tackle, six foot tall, 205 pounds, brother. <laughs> How the fuck did you play tackle at 205? Man, great technique and make it move and shake, baby. Just, just you know, get in everybody's way and talk a hell of a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you're from San Diego? God damn, they don't talk shit down like that. So um, when did you know you were going to become a coach? So, I, like I said, I was all conference as a freshman. You know, I'm getting letters because, you know, they send letters. You know, my quarterback, Steve Fairchild, ends up being an NFL offensive coordinator. My old coordinator at the time was Mike Martz, right? So he ends up being the head coach of the Rams. So, you know, I'm thinking I'm big time, right? So yeah. my sophomore year, you know, I'm, I got up to 235 pounds. You know, so I'm like, I'm, I'm balling now, right? And then I blow my knee out halfway through the season. And when I blew my knee out, you know, I'm not, I'm thinking I'm not, you know, I'm going to get a scholarship still. But no one, want, first of all, they found out how tall I really was. They found out how big I really was. So that wasn't happening. And so by the end of the spring, I do get a scholarship offer to play at like a small school like San Francisco State, but it was Eastern New Mexico. But I had to have a second knee operation. And so my offensive line coach, I love this man, Charlie Popa said, all right, go go call this dude. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, you can't play this year. You can't go to get your scholarship. You're going to be here. So you're not going to hang around and do nothing. I want you to go coach at this high school. Then you're an offensive line coach. You're going to do a great job. And so I was, became the varsity offensive line coach to a school that's three years old. And we, we ended up going to the playoffs. It's called Sarah High School, right? And so Mike Williams, the coach there, you know, was a great coach, young guy. And we just, you know, he's 31 and I'm like 20. And we're learning how to coach together. And I learned so much from him. But that's when I knew that that's what I wanted to do, right? That, that I love coaching. I wasn't going to be in the NFL. I wasn't going to no big-time play. So I just went to San Diego State. You know, I'm going to get my degree so I can start coaching and, you know, making some money. And then I met my wife. She was going to UC San Diego and uh, she just came back from, a you know, uh, Angela Davis, you know, rally. And, uh, you know, so I met her and then she wanted to move back to the Bears. So she went to Cal. So I just ended up going to the Bay Area. I was supposed to go to San Francisco State, you know, to play for um, Vic Rowan, who was a great coach. Right. Vic Rowan, the, the original longtime coach, San Francisco State. But I went up there in the summer. I was all set to go. Now, remember, I'm coming from San Diego. I got shorts, flip-flops on, right? You know, I got me a Hawaiian <laughs> yeah. shirt. I froze my ass. I told my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, like, I can't go to school here. <laughs> San Diego State to here. So I just enrolled it at uh, Cal State Hayward. I didn't even know nothing about it. I showed up there, and I'm just going to go to school, but I'm in the kinesiology department, and the offensive coordinator there was a guy named Mike Bellotti. Well, you know, Bellotti ends up being the head coach at Oregon, right? You know, doing all good things yeah. at Oregon. So I got to hang out with I didn't play, but, you know, we got to talk football. And so I've been blessed to be around. My high school coach was like one of the winningest high school coaches in San Diego history. My JC coaches were guys like Charlie Popa, but, you know, Mike Martz. I meet Bilotti, and then I go to Skyline, you know, and it's been, you know, I've been really lucky wherever I've gone that I didn't have to start from nothing, right? There was, there was something there, and all I got to do is I just put, you know, like think about this, right? I'm going to take some of that hot paste and mix it in, you know what I mean, and, and, and spice it up a little bit, right? So I took something that was even, just some rice, right, some vegetables, some meat, throw that hot spicy in there, make it a hot pot, and now everybody wants it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So when I went there, so I went, I didn't lose a game in the 90s at Skyline, right? I went 10 years without losing a regular season game. And I was sending four to five guys out a year to big-time programs, right? Think about this. I've, had, I've coached guys that have won Super Bowls, Grey Cups, NFL Europe, College Division One National Champion USC, 
right? I mean, I've caught winners at every step of the way. And, you know, it's kind of reflective, right? You get used to winning. You understand what winning is about. And it's kind of an intangible sometimes. You know, I can't put my finger on it, but you just know that you're not going to accept anything but that. And that's the same thing in life, right? So I started teaching these young young black and brown men and girls, right, in, in junior high. Like you talked about Acorn. Well, my first job was at Havens Court, which was surrounded by the village. Yeah. Right? So I was teaching right there on 66. <laughs> and I taught some amazing young men, right, that went the wrong way, but also taught some that ended up going on to play in the NFL. And what you start to realize is that we start to have this image of these young black men coming from the projects, right? And we don't realize that there's more to that, right? The, the talent you talked about, too short, right? You know, you talk about all these different guys that came, MCM came out of Oakland and the music industry. You know, that talent's there. Athletes. I have a young woman I taught at Frick. She was up for an Oscar a year or two ago. She's a writer and um, you might even know her, Tara Stinson. She worked for Dr. Dre. And so, you know, she sings and she um, writes songs and stuff. But what I'm saying is that this community has these people. And all we have to do is believe in them so they can believe in themselves because they've been beat up and told for so long that they aren't going to be shit, right? That they're not going to make nothing of themselves. They're going to, you know, whatever, whatever. And it just takes someone like myself or you or anybody just to believe in them. And once someone believes in them, then they want to work. And let me just tell you something. The kids in Oakland, they're competitive right? No one wants to be a bum. They don't want to come in second in anything, right? And so if you start to change that competitiveness, not only on the field or in the court or in the, in the studio, and you start saying, well, how about let's be competitive in the classroom? You going to let that guy get a better grade of you than, than you did? And all of a sudden the guy goes, wait a minute. No, nah, hell no. He ain't smarter than me. Are you dumb? No. Nah. So they start competing in the classroom, right? And now I have guys going to the Naval Academy, the Air Force Academy, to Columbia, to Brown, right? To Stanford, you hear what I'm saying? And these are kids from single parents that aren't supposed to be shit. They're the throwaway kids, right, that no one cares about. You know, crack cocaine came in the, in the city in 1987, right? It just decimated a population, okay? But these young people can survive. They're resilient. And all we have to do is just keep letting them know that they can be special, right? You know, you're a jeweler, right? So when you look at that raw diamond, does it look like shit? Do you want to? If I if I saw put that out on the street, would anybody try to buy it? Or they throw that shit away? You would literally think it looked like a piece of shit. It just exactly. looks like a, like a dirty rock. So then, what do you do to it? You buff it, you clean it, you cut yeah. it, right? You let it shine, brother. Then now, what's it like? You see, now everybody's fighting for that same Flawless. piece of shit, right? <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? And so that's what we have in this community. And so we just got to keep pushing that, man. You know, and, and let everybody know that. And the kids in Oakland, the people in Oakland, that fabric, right? They ain't punk. They're going to fight. But you got to teach them what to fight for, right? And that's my job. And so it was an easy job, to be honest, because think about this. I come from Japan. I grew up, I was born in San Diego, and uh, my first memory as a young kid is in Japan, right? So talk about a homogeneous society, right? Everybody looks alike in Japan, right? So flip it. I come to San Diego. I go to kindergarten. I'm a happy kid, kindergarten, right? And I, and I remember this still this. I'm 61 years old, and I still remember this day. One of the little girls in kindergarten started laughing, said something like, what's wrong with your eyes? I go, huh? What do you mean? She goes, your eyes. She goes like this. What's wrong with them? I'm like, oh, shit. I don't know. I didn't know there was anything wrong with my eyes. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. How was I supposed to know there was there? But that stuck with me as a 
kindergartner at six years old. Yeah. Right? Wow, racism at six? Holy smokes. But, you know, but I'm going to let that hold me down? No. Neither of my parents graduated high school. Well, guess what? I got a high school, you know, graduated from high school, graduated from college. I got a master's degree. My daughter has a master's degree. My other daughter has a PhD. My wife, you know, same thing. Her parents didn't go to finish. Uh, they finished high school, but didn't go to college. She's got a master's degree, right? So we're going to make sure that, you know, that our kids could do whatever. And then I had to figure out a way to pay for Stanford. I had to pay for Loyola, right? Okay. Then we're going to find a way, right? We're not going to let that be a reason why. Yeah. So that's the attitude that I want to make sure that I instill in the young people that I coach or teach, right? You can't let the hurdles that people that society wants to throw out in front of you, the margin, they're going to try to marginalize you. You can't let them do that. You can't let them label. You can't let them keep you in your box. Never. Now, I have the biggest classroom on any campus, right? The football field. That's bigger than any lab, any lecture hall. And so I got 120 guys, right? At Laney, that I'm making them tell them that they can be something. And 90% of my guys graduate and or transfer. 90%, right? And we now they ain't going to all going to SC. You know, they're going to some small little school, like smaller than even San Francisco State in football, why not, you know, population in the middle of nowhere. Well, who cares? Someone's paying for them to go to school and they come back with a degree and now they can do something with themselves, right? And so I'm, you know, I'm happy as can be, you know. I fulfill my purpose, right? You know, and and I'll tell you what, it's fun to walk around this town. It was really fun before, but now it's a pandemic. So I don't know. I keep laughing because I don't know, like Lake Merritt. When I used to walk, I walked the lake. Me and my walk, wife walked the lake every Saturday and Sunday, right? So before the pandemic, you know, I get stopped. Hey, coach, whatever, you know. But now with this last chance, you and 16 million people saw the show, like you just said, you, you know, someone turns you on to it. Oh shit! I can't wait to walk to the lake. I'll never get around the lake now. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta stay away. Even when I got my mask on, they can kind. Wait a minute. Yeah. Do I know you? you yeah, know? definitely the hair. You know, you got a very distinct look to yourself. I mean, bro, look, man. I remember going to festival at the lake. That was like, you know, that was some great times. I remember, um, I had a motorcycle in college, so I'd ride through Tilden. And if you go up to Berkeley, through Albany, then go all the way to Berkeley, all the way to Tilden. By the time you get to the end of it you're going to end up going down by the lake. And we would go to the lake and have a great drive. i go get some Gordo or some Fat Slice or, you know, Top Dog, whatever, and go down to the lake and get some more food, listen to some music. I remember I forgot the movie Goodfellas on my recruiting trip up to Cal I, before I went to school. I saw Goodfellas at a movie theater next to the lake. And I was in Oakland. Grand I was lake like, Theater. Yeah, Grand yeah. Lake Theater. And I was like, damn, man, this is fucking, you know, like, okay, I'm kind of, okay, this is kind of okay. Obviously, the difference between D1 and D2 is a different world. I can't imagine with Laney, right? Um, but after, so I was going to ask you, 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 you set yourself up right for the next question. How has your life changed since the show's aired? It's, it's different. You know, the pandemic obviously makes it a little bit different. With, with no football going on and everything on Zoom, you know, it's been a little bit different. But the accolades from the show, like I said, the numbers, I think Netflix was a little shocked at how well the numbers went because it's season five, right? Right. And people were getting tired of being, you know, in Mississippi or Kansas City. So being in Oakland was tremendous. With the, the pandemic and the lake is actually booming right now, even more so, unfortunately. And so the mayor, who was a cheerleader at Skyline when I was the coach there, she gets one day, makes an announcement. She says in July, because we were starting to spike again, said, we got to keep people away from the lake. She said, Instead of going to the lake, go home and get on Netflix and watch Last Chance Shoe season five and see Lane <laughs> College and Coach Bean. You know what I mean? So you get a shout out from the mayor. Yeah. And then 
I get uh, the New York Times did an article, right? But I'm thinking, okay, it's an article. It turned out it was on the Sunday edition and not, now peep it, right? It was a whole page. It wasn't just a, a column. It was the whole page in the Sunday New York Times. Then they did Esquire magazine, you know? So, you know, like I'm not, I'm not, I ain't got the drip like you do, you know? So I wear sweats and shorts. I got, you know, I got my shorts of khaki or I got some plaids, you know what I'm saying? And, and now I'm at Esquire magazine. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's crazy. And then, and then they put me on, they said, okay, we'd like to interview you on um, Access Hollywood. You okay with that? I'm said, okay, really? They go, yeah. So, I'm, you know, I'm trying to watch it, wait, come up, and it's like the Kardashians this and the Kardashians that. And then they go, last chance you and Coach Beam. I'm like, man, I came on after the Kardashians. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, wow. And so uh, a week ago, we went home. I, my family and I, we all went down to San Diego home, kind of got a house to kind of, you know, just get away because we haven't been out on vacation. So we drove and I got right. my beautiful granddaughter, nine months old. So because of the pandemic, her and I are every day together. And so I wanted to get her down there. My aunt and uncle still. So my parents have passed away, but my auntie's going to be um, 82. My uncle's 87, you know. And so we got together. And we had five generations of my family all together. And, you know, just to, to see the granddaughter and to see us, we haven't seen it, you know, and my aunt is kind of, you know, since my mom passed away, you know, I'm the oldest son in the generation. You know what I mean? You know how it goes, right? In the culture. So yeah. I'm the guy, right? So my auntie's kind of made sure to take care of me since my mom passed away. And so, you know, she hadn't seen me in a while. So I was really good for her. She was happy to see me and my uncle, obviously. So it was good. Right. So, and they all talked about the show. So five generations and they're they're saying hey we saw the show you know it was really good and my cousin came out from vegas and you know it, it's just been good and like you know you have met i met people long ago in my career like sean payton well he hits me up like hey i showed my son watched the show and i told him that's how a real coach is supposed to look because he wants to get into coaching i told him you know, he needs to watch you so he can learn to be a real coach and i thought that was you know that meant a lot from a guy who i think is one of the best coaches in the nfl um, and NFL players have hit us up, you know, you know, kind of fun, you know, and some are like, man, coach, you was dogging boy, RJ. I, said, I wasn't <laughs> dogging him, man. You know, you just got to learn how to stack his routes, man. <laughs> you know, I felt bad for RJ for a little bit, but you know, it was, it was, he had, a, he, look, he had a very interesting situation. That, that was definitely, you know, what's really weird, coach Bean, man. I'm going to tell you something real quick, man. I have three kids, right? Um, my oldest son has a severe respiratory illness. So of all the fucking diseases and pandemics and fucking viruses in the world, the one that kills everyone is specifically like, you know, like, oh, there's this much success rate or this, whatever. No, he has like single digit chance to live if he gets it. Like it's specifically for him. So he's been in an incubator, right? We actually had a ventilator in the house. It's beautiful, right? Because he's been, in, he spent most of his life in the hospital. He's really just getting good now. I, he's, I try to get him into sports, but it's like he really had a difficult upbringing. Um, my other kids are okay. So with that said, last year, I was on 120 flights. You name it. Korea, China, Hong Kong. I would all world tour, you know, everywhere. I've been traveling like crazy. I'm on number one songs on the radio. I'm in, you know, everyone wants to be in a video, blah, blah, to this pandemic happening and my world stops. And now not only does it stop, I take it very serious, 10 times level more because of my son. So when you said you went to San Diego, for six months, we didn't go fucking nowhere. So we right. got it. We got an Airbnb in Del Mar, 
and fucking went through La Jolla, went through Carlsbad, and like we went to the zoo. It's all we could do, you know. And it was really chill. And thank God the weather was pretty good in San Diego, you know, a month or two ago. And it's really funny you said that. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you because it was what a weird thing that we both. No, I mean, but it's true. We had to get. We wanted to break the routine, right? And I wanted to. I wanted to, you know. Plus the pool, the house came with a pool. We were about a block away from the bay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah same the thing. Bay. But same the idea thing. was just. You know, we as a fan, we could still do our Zoom meetings and whatnot at this place, but it was good. And and it just, you know, we, we're a really close family, right? We do everything together, but we needed a break in in scenery, right? Even though maybe not a break from each other, but at least a break in scenery. Yeah, right? for sure. So that was it was good. Even the drive so, down must have been therapeutic. Like, look, man, the challenges is this. I've been paying rent for my apartment in the city. And come on, man, you know, I live in a high right like I'm for six fucking months, I'm paying rent. And like, because I'm not going to be a dick. I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm not going to. I mean, there's people who really can't pay rent. So it's like, let me not be that way. So I finally go back this last week. I'm there for five days. And I'm excited to be back. Boom, whatever. And my wife's like, you know, you can't fly. You can't even fly a private jet. We can't do nothing because I got to get an Uber. So now, mind you, I haven't driven. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm lying. Every single year, my wife's entire family's in the Bay. From Belmont to Blackhawk to uh, South San Francisco. All through the entire Bay, my wife's entire family. So every Christmas, every single year for the last 11 years, we've been going. So I don't like driving, really. I'm a diva. You know, I've gotten, like, I work so hard in my life. I feel like I've beat, I literally just work for shit, right? Like, I get treated like boom. So now I'm like, man, fuck that. Someone need to, like, drive me. But anyways, I took my assistant. We drove to the city. And I'm going to be honest with you, man. We got with two stops. We got from Hollywood to San Francisco Union Square in under five hours and just the drive i hate driving right but because you've been sitting inside a house for so long the drive became therapeutic just seeing people at the fucking gas station i was like hey man how you doing bro you good and the guy's like god damn you're being friendly to everyone because i'm not really necessarily the most friendly i just but i'm making small talk i'm excited stop at harris ranch and shit i'm like you know so after the show have you and again man i don't know if this would get you in trouble if this is weird but have you got any offers from like d1 schools after the show did you so if you watch the show, my deal was I chose not to do that, right? So I had I'd been offered jobs at San Jose, at Pac-12 schools, at Pac-10 back in the day, at a you know UNLV, different places. That's just not something I wanted to do. Um, mainly when I was younger was because I wouldn't be able to be around my daughters, right? I got to coach them in basketball. You know, do you guys do you ever do any Asian league basketball with your kids? So, not yet. But it's so funny because you said, and I'm sorry to keep jumping all over the fucking place. You said uh, you went to Cal State Hayward. Yeah. There was an Asian. He, so I played basketball in college too. Not only did I play, so I played basketball. There was two Asians in NCAC. That's that's our conference, right? Um, we were obviously the Pac-10 then when we were at Cal, but I didn't play basketball at Cal. Uh, you know, when I left, J.K. it came on. Lamar Murray was already there. And, um, you know, we I actually, how funny is this? My last year at Albany, I played against Jason Kidd because he was at St. Joe's and we're in the same conference. And, uh, well, I forgot what the other dude from SNL was. But anyways, uh, well, shit, J.R. Ryder went to SNL. So um, there was a dude that went to Cal State Hayward. Fuck, I can't think of his name. He was Asian. And um, he was like short, too. He was like 5'8". Then there was a guy named Conan Chi who played for UC Davis who was real big. And after the game, he's like, come on, man, how many Asians are going to be playing basketball, right? We played against some D1 schools. I guarded Steve Nash two years in a row. You know, he came up to me. He's like, hey, bro, do you play in the J League? And I was like, fuck is a J League? You know, like, 
I'm from LA, you know what I mean? I'm just saying, like, what the fuck is Jay? He's, he's like, bro, you don't know about the Asian leagues? I was like, man, come on, bro, stop playing. And then he told me that people like Rex Walters, I didn't even know Rex Walters was half Asian, you know, and other people. So I go there, and remember, when you play structured basketball, you're playing, you know, for a team, it's, you almost forget how to play pickleball in a certain way. I mean, I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but like, yeah. I've been playing, I don't know how much time I really got to play out in the streets. And so I go to um, into the uh, the peninsula, and I'm watching these J-League games going on. They're going in, in uh, San Jose, too. And these motherfuckers are pretty good, especially the upper echelon dudes. And I'm like, fuck. So people are like, oh, man, this dude plays Division II basketball, play for SF State. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, this is Ben Yang, you know, blah, blah. I wasn't Ben Baller yet. I became Ben Baller in 92. And um, I go out there, and I scored, like, two points. I was fucking embarrassed, you know? And it was really like, it was, I don't know, it was weird, like, I've never felt, I've never been around my own people. I mean, born and raised in Koreatown. Yes, it's all Korean people now. That shit was all Mexican and blacks. It was a gang neighborhood. Yep. It was all yep. fucking Mara Salvatucho was founded in my neighborhood. Like, you know, seven different gangs. I'm not even thinking about, like, you know, there just wasn't, I didn't really have a lot of Asian people that liked hip-hop in the in the 80s, early 80s. And, you know, um, just the things that I like to do. So, um, that was the only time I ever got exposed to the Asian shit. And then, and then, um... I don't want to be a fucking bum out, but like after I finished college, I got into, you know, the music business and I started doing things and I got into drugs and I just, I didn't really exercise anymore. It was kind of sad. It was like, I was in the best shape of my life. And then I just went through this fucking, I just think I just destroyed my body for a long time. And then I got back into getting into shape. And I think for a long time, people are like, bro, one, you never played any college basketball. You were so full of shit, bro. You were the most washed up, out of shape person I've seen in my life. Like, there's no way you could bench press 255. And then when I started working out again, I'll never forget this dude, Denny. He had said to me, he goes, hey, bro, have you ever seen this dude baller lift weights? And he goes, you could tell 1 million percent this dude was an athlete. The way he bench presses, the way that he does. And I was like, wow, you know what? I didn't even think. He's like, he's like, I'm a trainer. Of course, I'm going to tell you. Like, there's people here strong. He's like, you have structure when you do flat bench, when you're doing incline, when you're doing this, this, and this, squats. Everything you do, I was like, bro, I fucking, I mean, since I was 12 years old, you know, like, I, so at least people believe me then, but you know, now the people pull pictures out, some dude grabbed, um, he grabbed a score sheet, he's like, hey dude, I work for San Francisco State University, um, I was able to pull up a game, yeah, against uh, uh, Chico State, and you scored two points, and I was like, hey, fuck you, man, you know what I mean, like, <laughs> but I did play, but, um, um, you know, I was gonna ask you, man, so do you guys even have a season this year? Or did they just cancel it? So what they did is they postponed it to – they moved all the junior college, every sport, we're going to start in the spring. So football will start in January with the first game in February. And then baseball will start, you know, later. And we're all going to play a 70% schedule. So we're going to play, you know, which is kind of sucks for us. You know, so baseball is 70%, still like 28 games, right? Yeah. Football is 70% is seven. You know, our guys are going to get seven yeah. games to put film up to try to get a scholarship, you know. And it's been tough. You know, we're trying to – We had, I thought we had a really good team coming back. So last year, you know, six and five, we played without a quarterback for a lot of time. You know, very easily we were probably – we were probably a seven, three, eight, and two team. But with the injuries, you know, happens. But we played almost all freshmen. So I'm thinking we're going to have this great team coming back. I'm all so fired up. We had some good high school recruits coming in. The show comes out. You know, guys from all the country want to come play for us. Nice. And uh, now we don't play. So I lose a tackle. He gets a scholarship early to Oregon State. Another guy's going to walk on at Arizona State. And you got to let him go because that's the right thing to do. You know what I mean? 
but you start losing some good players. And then guys are starting to go because of the pandemic, their families are struggling. The parents are, you know, Hey, they got to go work to help support their family. So now they're not even in school. We can't even lift. We just started conditioning. We've done three weeks of conditioning two times a week. So we're, you know, we're starting, but we can't get in a weight room yet. And you're just really trying to hold these kids together enough so they can understand to finish school so we can get it going. But, you know, it's going to be tough. And one of the biggest problems is that we're a community college. Our funding's from K-12, right? We're the same. But they consider us higher education with the Cals and the Stanfords. And so they're making us follow the same protocols, which is testing daily right before games. Well, we can't afford to test every day. We don't, okay. you know, like... I can get free tests at these community test sites, but the results come back five to seven days. But you have to have the results back in 48 hours to play. Yeah. Well, if we do that, we'll, we'll never be able to play because I can't afford well, $5,000 to no, test. You know what for I mean? sure. I think one thing about my podcast is this is a business podcast. Even though I have music background, I'm a jeweler. You know, when COVID started hitting around, I was talking about it in February and even in January. And I started trending in the COVID space because one of my best friends had got it. And then three of my friends have died from it. Oh, no wow. one's had Sorry it since then. It's, it's, it is what it is. And um, about 80, no, about 100 people now I know have got it. Only 10 got it bad. And so I started trending in the COVID space. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trending, meaning there's 1 million podcasts. And I'm the Laney College of podcasts. I'm the smaller dude. I'm going against the billion-dollar corporations, NPR, CNN, MSNBC. I'm funding this by myself independently. And we're out here trending. And we're hitting epidemiologists to come on the show. And they're like, why the fuck we want to come on your show? And like, well, why don't you check the charts? And I'm like, why the fuck is a jeweler trending in the COVID space, right? So I got to talk to some more people. Um, obviously, I got a lot of NFL clients. I'm an enormous Seahawks fan. And I uh, got to talk to a lot of Seahawks guys. And I said, I talked about protocol. These motherfuckers are getting their results back like in like 17 hours and like ridiculous shit, right? Like because it's the NFL. But I thought that they were getting the test free. And I was like, hell fucking no. You know, you can get the other shit for free where you get it back in three or four days or something. So now I feel your pain because, you know, it's, it's a fucked up situation. The good news is from all the people I know, from people who own hospitals and the people I've met throughout this and that and a third, they did say definitely by the end of the year there will be a vaccine. That at least eases up a lot of shit where that 48-hour due date might really go back to five. or six. It, it should be a little bit more... You know what I mean? I know it's going to be flu season coming up soon, but I think with the vaccine, it's going to definitely kind of chill some folks out because the people that need to take the vaccine, the older people or whatever, they'll take it. And um, as time goes by, that's three, four more months away from now, there should be faster rapid testing for a much more affordable, if not free price. There's So, you know, with the new antigen test that you can do, which just tests for the antibodies, so you can get those within 30 minutes rapid oh, testing, yeah. right? And so those are positives. My biggest thing is think about this, right? The young men that I coach, where do they live? You know, they got to take public transportation. Most of them live in multi-generational housing, right? So they're going to live with their granny, their grandpa, their uncle, their auntie, somebody, right? So my kids just, unlike, you know, you have a son that's it, but, but most young people are going to be asymptomatic, right? They'll, get, they'll be under the weather for a little bit and they'll bounce back, but it's who they become, who they infect, right? And exposed, right? Could they be a super spreader? And so that's what I worry about, right? Because what happens when they go home? And that's, it's always been that, right? You always worry because, you know, 
even in our culture, right? You know, when my when my aunt and uncle came from Korea, they moved into our house. So we went from me, my mom, my dad, to my aunt, my uncle, my three cousins, my grandmother came over as well. And so, you know, the house just explode because that's how we do. So multi-generational, multi-family come in, but that's how we do. And it's the same in the black and brown community, especially in the, the Polynesian community, right? So we have, you know, a good percentage of our players are Polynesian. And because of their circumstances, they don't have medical, right? So they're not able to go to a doctor normally. So they have diabetes. They have high blood pressure, hypertension, right? They have heart disease. So they already have some underlying medical conditions that with the COVID will actually excavate or even kill them, you know, because so we have to be really careful about it. And, you know, we, you know, like we try to tell them, like I've I've been pushing just like you have, it sounds like, you know, I'm pushing, Hey, everybody, where's your mask? Right. This, this, you know, it's not about protecting me. I'm protecting the people that you don't see with me. Right. That's what I'm talking about. When you and I are together, you don't see my wife. You don't see my granddaughter. You see my daughters. Right. And I don't see your son. Right. Who is very vulnerable. What you just said. Right. So I got to be even more careful. Right. So I got to wear the mask for him, not for me, for him. Right. And we got to get people to understand that. Right. That we have to not be, it can't be in, you know, unfortunately, the guy in the, the big house right now, he's an eye guy. And you can't be eye guys now. We have to be team guys, right? You got to understand that, right? Yeah. It's not about you. It's about everybody else, right? And so until as a society we can understand that, we're going to struggle. No, you know? we're definitely going to suffer because that dumb motherfucker that's in the office now is, you know, really, man, the more you talk and the more I, because I, I felt like, look, man, there needs to be season motherfucking two of Laney College. I know they got to go on the next thing, but I'm like, they need to bring you guys back or do something else because it was just so inspiring watching that. And I was I was curious, man, like, so, I mean, I'm not going to talk about everybody. Let's just talk about like the four ones I focus on, like Rajon, uh, Dior, RJ, the big Samoan dude. Where are those guys now, man? You talk so, to him our, so let's start with Ray. Ray's doing great. He's up at he's at Oregon State. Him and his brother up there. They're both going to be locked down corners. A couple guys that I know they're in the in the NFL coaching. They're like, hey, that dude's he's an NFL guy. So he gets his work ethic right. Right. You got to do a better job. You got you know you want to be on the edge. You want to have that swag talking shit, but you got to also be careful with the shit you're talking to. Back the right. shit up. So, but he'll be with his older brother. His older brother's going to help ground him a lot, and so he's doing really good. New. Him and his wife got a full ride to Murray State Division One school in Kentucky, so they, they just made the population of Murray go up, you know, hundred percent for Polynesians, right? And they're gonna probably eat up all the spam in the in the town, yeah. right? Because when they get into, <laughs> so him and his wife and two kids are there. They're doing great. It's so funny. He was telling me that the first day of class, they actually have in person classes, and he walks into a class, and everybody kind of knows who he is for the show. And in the show, right, he he gets caught plagiarizing, right? Yeah. And the teacher tells him, said, look, we will kick you out of school if you plagiarize, but we don't want that. So uh, what we want you to understand is you come to me, baby, and I'm going to help you. You'll never have to plagiarize. Just come to me. And, you know, he's just got, you know, big Samoan, got that big smile laughing. Yeah, I love that. I know, dude. I know, I learned. But the thing is, what I tell everybody, he didn't understand that plagiarizing was wrong because all through high school, you know how it is when you go into school in the hood, you, everybody copying everybody's homework, yeah. right? And no one ever says anything, even though we said it. So he learned a valuable lesson in the in the – People were down on the teacher a little bit, but I said, no, you know, because Miss Juanita, what she did is that she made it a, a, a lesson, right? She turned it into a life lesson. Okay, I'm not, I'm going to give you a zero. I'm not going to turn you in and get you kicked out of my class or school, but you're going to do better now. And he ended up passing the class. And so that was a positive, right? And then um, RJ, RJ had this great Division II offer that threw the hell out of the ball, but he's going to sit back. And Cal has told him, 
that um, they're gonna they got if they get a slot open they're gonna bring him on as a walk on and then he can just you know work on his grades and try to play. The problem with RJ, he has a clock issue because he has been in JC four years, so his clock already started. And I try to explain that to him. He'd be better off doing you know two years at a at a Division two and really ball than try to do one year trying to be a, get some time. But you know. He's dedicated and he's going to bet on himself, right? Oh, man, dude. I wish I could tell him. I know that he, uh, I forgot who it was, but uh, the, the guy, Paul, who interviewed you, he talked to him too. And they talked about me because I had my issues and stuff. And obviously, you know, I wish I could tell him, man, like, bro, you know, I thought that cow was that that was the shit. But I, I was academically just getting killed because I wasn't, even though I was on a ride and I was on a scholarship, I'm looking at the real stars on the team and they didn't have to do shit. And I'm like, bro, this ain't, it's totally different for me. I like, they didn't, I mean, I'm not trying to snitch yes. on nobody, but they didn't go to class. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're in there fucking doing nothing. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, it was difficult. I'm not gonna lie to you. Academically, I was really struggling. And, um, you know, I look back and think about when I played at SF, you know, I wish, even though I gave it everything I had, you know, Larry Allen played at Sonoma State, which is in our conference. It's the greatest fucking lineman in the history of fucking the NFL. Played at a D2. I'm just being real. Like, there was some bad motherfuckers. Damn, I wish you could just smack the shit out of him and be like, yo, bro, like, jump on this D2 and, get, you know, be the man there. And, and I mean, shit. Yeah, I know. But you got to let him do, you know, like, you, you got to support his decision. That's what I did. And, you know, him and I battled all year about that. You know, he had all these D2 offers, but he didn't want to go anywhere. But that's fine. And then my boy Dior is balling out at uh, Hawaii. So he's running with the one and twos right now. So he he went ahead and walked on. So Rolo was the head coach at Hawaii. He took Devon Best. I don't know if you remember the name Devon Best. So Devon played for me at Skyline, did 13 months incarcerated out of high school. I got him over to Hawaii. He broke a ton of records there, played six years in the NFL for Miami. Oh, and shit. so I got uh, Jared Smart. You know, his dad was Keith Smart that hit the – the big shot for Indiana. So he's over there. He's already on the Blitnikoff list. And so I told Rolo, man, I said, you know, this kid is going to be as good as Jared. Trust me. And as good as Devon, just to give him a chance. So he said, all right, look, I ain't got no money for him right now, but tell him to walk on. He has a good spring. I'll give him money. So the day he shows up at Hawaii to walk on, Rolo gets a job at Washington state. Oh, so shit, Right. So new coach comes in. I go out, you know, me and my wife go at uh, president's weekend, check on Jared and check on Dior, make sure they're all right. And the new head coach walks by. He don't really want to talk to me. He doesn't know who, who uh, knows who Jared is, but doesn't know who Art or uh, Dior is. Really wants to talk to him. But then the show comes out, <laughs> so everybody knows who Dior is now. And then you know he's been working his ass off, and it turned out perfect. So he's got he's moved his way up. He said there's about nine or ten receivers ahead of him, and now he's running with the one and two because the nice. cream's always going to run is always going to rise to the top. And he's just grinding, you know. Like he said, he, his uh, deal is he's a stray dog, you know what I mean? Stray dog, going to get it done. And so he's making it happen. I'm really proud of him. I'm proud of all four of those guys, right? They were thrusted into a spotlight that they didn't really understand what really was going to be about. And myself as well. You know, you don't understand, like, okay, when you came out of San Francisco and you left L.A. to come up here, did you know that you're going to be in a spotlight that you are in now? It was you know what I mean? You get boned yeah. like shit, right? Yeah. And uh, for me, you know, for all of us, understand this show had 14 to 16 million viewers in the first 10 days of the show. Yeah. Right? Worldwide. No, I know. And then you go social media. So all these people, like, I don't know nothing about social media, right? My coaches made me get on it for recruiting and everything. Yeah. <laughs> but shoot, 
Now I'm almost a verified guy. I'm close to a blue check. I got over 10,000 people. I'm like, now I don't know what it all means, but I know that I'm supposed to get a blue check. And they said, when you get a blue check, coach, you made it. I said, all right. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you know, honestly, to tell you the truth, I think you'll get one real soon just because of the show. And I think that there's so much press. It's it's basically if you have two major publications, whether it be you have Access Hollywood, uh, let's say, for instance, New York Times, Esquire, so you already qualify. So if you just had somebody at your school, someone at Laney that could just represent and be like, hey, boom, and submit it, you, it, it should be done immediately. I was probably one of the first accounts got verified way, way back. But um, we'll talk, man. I, that just just happened immediately. But and, you know uh, what I'm saying? So for me, what it was, I'm just saying, but these guys got 30 and 40. They got blue checks now. And so here you are. You're 20 years old. And your story, RJ's story, you know, with his, we knew his problem with his dad. But now you find out that his mom was abused by his grandfather. You know, our, you know, Dior's living in a car. News trying to figure out how to get Hamburger Helper to feed his kids, you know? Yeah. And Ray's whole story now is not only like the big-time player, but, you know, his dad was shot and killed. Yeah. And you let everybody – they were okay letting everybody know that. And it's tough, you know what I mean? It's a different experience. And so it, it, it we're dealing with – but now for Laney College, now think about this. Laney College is losing – people don't – when the economy is good, you don't go to a community college, right? Because right. you can make $20, 25 doing anything out on the street legally. And so all of a sudden the show comes out, Our my webpage, you know, Atlantic Football, has 500,000 views <laughs> from 101 countries, right? So I'm like, wait a minute, man. We, we don't have a place for all these kids want to play. Like I could have 300 kids on a football team if I had three, a dorms. I could fill up a whole dorm and pay for people to come. But we don't. But the point is – what I wanted people to understand was California Community College is the best bang for your butt. It's free 100%. Right, for California residents. You get to play high caliber athletics. You get really good at education. So our English 1A at Laney is the same as the English 1A at Cal that you were taking. Except for mine has got a teacher that's got 25 students in it. Yours is a, a big hall at Cal with 300 students in it. Who's getting the personal help, right? Especially if you're struggling a little bit, right? And so – that's what everybody got to see that what California has to offer. The city of Oakland got to shine a little bit, right? We got to shine as a city. Like, hey, you know, we're not we're not the city. We don't want to be the city, right? You know, they already took our warriors, man. Are we? I'm mad already. You know, Stephanie and Damn. Clay, they was living. You know, Clay lived right across the street from Laney for a while. You know what I mean? And so they did all their commercials at Laney. She said, you know, now they went across. I'm like, man, we used to go to the game. My wife loves it. Man, we ain't going no more. Forget that. Yeah. You know? We wasn't Center. on TV, man. And it's got to be the free TV. We ain't buy the package. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I know early you said you can't do what these other community colleges do in like Nebraska or whatever. But are you allowed to recruit at all kind of? I mean. Yeah, we can recruit. So I can recruit anywhere in the California. I can call anybody. Like I call your son right up and I heard this baller, you know, you Ben Baller's kid. You got good genes. Let's talk about playing, right? Now, out of state, they have to call us first. But once they call us, then we can do whatever. We just can't offer oh. them any incentives, right? Oh, shit. No, yeah, you can't offer incentives. But I mean, so you said after the show, though, a lot of submissions have come in, right? Oh, yeah. But the problem is, so so we look at them. And, I, and like I tell the kids, if you can't come out here and you can't already have, you know, like five grand stacked, you can't come. It's just not going to work financially right. for you. You know right. what I mean? And. So what well, we've been lucky, we get a couple of kids that come in, their, their parents are veterans, right? And so, you know, veterans can give their, their benefits to their, their children, right? So that takes care of it. And some people do come with a little bit of staff, right? They, they've got like one kid we're working with right now because of the pandemic, he's been able, he's working at Walmart or somewhere, you know, he's stacking his money right now so that when he comes, he's taking some class online. So he's not worried about housing. 
But now when he comes, he'll, you know, he'll be able to go ahead and have enough money stacked up to pay for a year of rent. You know what I mean? And now they'll share a room, you know, with somebody, but that's okay. And then what we have, we've been really lucky. What I did in the show, people, and this is what I think was interesting. People didn't ask, but because I've been doing this 40 years, I had this woman come on that worked for us as an intern, as a social worker. And so she was able to help New get food stamps for him and his family, get housing, right? Get him free phones, right? And also give him some one-on-one counseling as well, right? And so we provide that. So no other JC does that, right? Well, we did that because this woman, she uh, had played basketball with my daughter growing up, you know, as opponents. She played for my best friends. She's a social worker at Kaiser, but she wanted to, there's a new degree or a certificate to be an athletic social worker. And that's what she wants to do. She wants to work with student athletes. So we brought her in. It was tremendous, you know, and she that's did awesome. a great job. It's fucking amazing, man. What do you want to do after coaching, man? Are you just going to retire? Like, is it, do you have any, I mean. So this is what I'm doing right now. This is right. One, I never knew that I would love being a grandfather like I am, man. This is like, oh my God. Me, like the other day, like yesterday, in fact, my daughter lived in a two-story house, right? So she made it to the top of the stairs, first time ever, bottom of the top. I was falling right behind her, crawling with her, you know? I got, I've had four knee operations, so when she crawls, I got to lay on the ground because I can't bend over, it hurts my knees. So I just crawl on the ground with her, right? right. Um, so I like being a grandfather. I'm working on right now putting together to be a, a, a speaker, right? I want to talk about leadership. I want to talk about motivation. If I can motivate the group that I have, I think I can motivate anybody. I can go to Facebook. I can go to Google, right? I can go to these companies and, and, and help them out with leadership and motivation. So I'm, I'm working on that. Here's the other part, right? I want to, you know, have you ever watched that show, Diners, Drivings, and Dives? Yeah, I've watched the show before. I love that show. Right. So he goes around and sees, find these little diners and, you know, showcase them, right? So I got this idea that I want to do a show called, you know, the Town town Biz, right? And I, because of the show, all these uh, old students have reached out to me like, coach, coach, coach. And then they found me on social media. I got people that are writing for All-American, right? We were talking about that. Like, he's a lead writer. He played football for me. I got another one that's developing a movie concept, another one that's a, a, a social worker, a teacher. This one guy, he's the uh, road manager for um, Future, okay. right? And so, you know, like, why can't we show the world and these other young brown and black men and women, boys and girls, that you can do anything you want? You know, like, you know, I am somebody or I can be whoever I want. Yeah. Why not show a, a show letting sick people see that, right? You know what I mean? That these guys are amazing People that came out of the same circumstances, you know, single parent, raised by the grandmother, you know, on Section 8 or in the projects, right? Had people killed in front of them, been shot themselves. And so I thought that would be kind of a good little deal to do, you know, something like that. And then this project is, you know, like a couple of my guys have come together. We call it a Team Beam, right? You know, instead of BB, we're going to be TB, <laughs> right? But not Tom Brady. But, you know, like I'm going to help him get a movie like going. He's got the movie. He's got the script. He's got the uh, pitch book. And I said, yeah, you know, I got a platform. I met all these producers and uh, whatever you want to call them, production company folks. So I'm going to introduce them, you know, to some people. We're going to see if we can get this movie. It's about gentrification in Oakland and then turn it into a horror film like the the gentrifiers (laughs) get, you know, haunted by the dudes from the past. You know what I'm saying? Let's turn the let's flip the script on these cats, man. (laughs) You know, I was, uh, you know, so it was so was funny. Fun. It was so funny. I was talking um, to a friend of mine, Catrice, and uh, she's been super close. I, I don't know, we just like, again, because of the business I'm in, you get to meet so many great people, right? 
one of my friends, she actually is from Nebraska, but she grew up in Dublin. She became an enormous, huge actress. When I was in college pledging fraternity, she was at UCLA. I was a Cal. We met each other, boom. She wasn't nobody then. Now she's one of the biggest actresses in the world. Her name is Gabrielle Union. Oh, yeah. So Gabrielle went to, you know, she's from Dublin, Pleasanton area. Yes. So we've been friends for 20-something years, right? Her ex-husband played for, you know, University of Michigan. His name was Chris Howard. He actually played for the Raiders, too. So Chris Howard, um, before this is obviously before Dwayne Wade, me and him became really close. He played at Michigan the same time Charles Woodson did. They were best friends in college and everything. So then me and Woodson became really close. I was a Raiders fan for 30 years until I couldn't fucking, I wanted to kill Al Davis, everyone in his family, I couldn't fuck with him. I bought a house and a business. I did a nonprofit organization in Seattle. My wife was born in Seattle. I became a Seahawks fan in 2010, 11, right? Before they won the chip. And I've been diehard rocking with them heavy, working with the Seahawks and everything. And so one time I come up to the town to go visit uh, Chuck, go visit Charles Woodson. And he take me to Jack Lennon Square. I ain't been in forever. And all hell breaks loose. Fucking guns come out, fights, this, that, and the third, and everything else. And I'm like, yo, Wood, man, you ain't scared of this shit? He's like, man, fuck that. This Oakland, this is the town. This is the way shit is. And just made me think of Jack London Square and think about you and just think about just how crazy it is. But at the same time, man, once you live there, you just love it. It is what it is. And, you know, you're never going to say anything bad about the town. And with you talking about, um, like, uh, all the things that are going on in the town, my last question was, what is your favorite place to eat in the Bay or in the town? Just your favorite place to eat at. Well, if you're going to, if you can talk about the town, because, you know, I'm a loyal to my family, right? You got to go to Everton Jones. Oh, because, man, you know, Jones. that, you know, they, they're all their kids played for me, you know, went to school where I taught the girls went man. to school. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to say when we, when we bring, when someone comes to visit, you know, if it ain't, if we're not going to go to a little Korean town, you know, get, get a hot pot. Yeah. I'm going to take them to Everton Jones and Jack London because they got the one in Jack London. Coach Beam, I just look at you think I'm bullshitting. My episode just dropped. I just mentioned Everton Jones and said, look, I went to Albany. I grabbed some Gordo on Solano, went past Top Dog, and I was like, fuck. I started driving down University, and on University in San Pablo, they got the OG, you know, the yep. Everton Jones. Jones. I'm like, man, they need to get me a barbecue plate. And my, my assistant is vegan. So he don't know nothing about that shit. I'm like, bro, <laughs> you don't know what Ian, bro, what Everett and Jones. And I, I ain't been to the Jack Lennon one. So I just mentioned the shit on my show. And here you go talking about it. Wow, man. That's, that's an amazing full circle moment. Um, before we wrap up, every single guest who comes on my show, and you don't really know much about me and everything, which is great. This is just organic. I ask every person if there's a question they like to ask me. <laughs> and that's the final question. So Ben Baller now, so the guy uh, from, uh, what was it, regular to, to uh, Savages, right, from playing to Savages, Paul, he tells me you're a jeweler. And then he, then I find out that you are actually a baller, right? right? That's where I got then my name from, said, playing ball, yeah. Right, now you said that you're uh, in the hip-hop. So how did this all happen, brother? How did you, you know, I guess just being an L.A. guy growing up in K-Town? So what happened was, I was always a hustler, right? My sister would tell these stories about, my sister was very successful in, in the entertainment business as well. And she just said, ever since you were a kid, you would hustle, you would go to the swap meet, go get toys and sell them at school to the richer kids for three, four times what you paid for them. I would go get candy, 
go to Beverly Hills High School and sell candy, like Jolly Ranchers and, you know, good whatever the good, decent candy. Not some bullshit, cheap shit, but whatever. It, you could get a bunch of candy at 7-Eleven for nothing, and I would spend five or six bucks, and then I'd make 20. So I was just always been a hustler. So when I went to Albany, I actually connected with um, a couple guys from the Hieroglyphics, the Souls of Mischief. You know, they were big, big, really big in hip-hop in the 90s. I also had a song, 93 Till Infinity, which would probably be the top 10 biggest songs out of the Bay Area ever, right? And then... um I was always in the music. I was a DJ. I became, you know, a music executive. And uh, when I interned, right during my by my freshman year at Cal, there was a um, fuck. I can't remember the goddamn name. There was a video channel in the Oakland. It was something. It wasn't Video Box. Soul what the Beat. Fuck? Soul Beat. Jesus Christ! I interned at Soul Beat, and you know, I meet a lot of people there. So when I finished school. When I went to high school, I went to high school with, I can't even tell you how many people went to my high school. Like Lenny Kravitz went to my high school at Beverly Hills High. Um, David Schwimmer, right? Like just all kinds of, the Menendez brothers. I went to high school with Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> Monica Lewinsky and me are still friends to this day. We've been friends. Like we had free period together. You know what I mean? Never in a million years I think she'd give the president a blowjob. Like just crazy shit. So I met this kid opposite of me. He was Jewish. He was really good friends with Madonna's manager. He started getting into music, and um, he's like, bro, you're going to go to college? I'm like, dog, I don't want to, man, but I got to because, one, you know, I got no choice because I got kicked out. I got to make something. My parents, I'm, the Koreans, they're not trying to hear it. You have to go to school, every part of school, you, you know, college, after college, everything. So, you know, I was like, let me figure this out. When I finished school, by the time I came back, he was already a big dude in the music business, like already at a young age, 22, he was already killing it. And so I just started, you know, interning, started meeting people, started met, met Tupac, met Dr. Dre, and just something about I was able to get next to people. I got next to Dre. I got next to Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington, next thing I know, I'm DJing the Black Oscars. Next thing I know, I'm DJing the Black Grammys, and I'm meeting Quincy Jones, and I'm meeting all these people, and I start moving up in the world. I started at in the mailroom like level manager at Priority Records, and that's Dr. Dre, NWA, Master P, all these things. And um, when I'm there, within two years, I become vice president of the company. You know, Dang. Master P okay. becomes the biggest rapper in the fucking world. And we start talking. He's like, oh, you know, if it's Louisiana, whoop-de-whoop, all this. Next thing you know, he does this compilation. It's like one of the most legendary compilations called West Coast Bad Boys. I was like, oh, I remember this. I'm like, wait a second. West Coast, you from Louisiana? He's like, yeah, but I've, I've been, been in Richmond for the last... This time I'm like, what was it? Hold on, North or South Richmond? He's like, come on, you need to ask, you gonna answer that question? Ask me that question. You know what part of Richmond I'm from. So we started talking. Me and Master P became close. Then Dr. Dre left Death Row when he started Aftermath Entertainment. He's like, yo, man, you a sharp dude. Maybe you could get some of the people in the different rooms. They might look at you different because you're Asian, you know? Okay. So I did that and just I just was able to keep elevating my game and take it to another level and take it to another level. Finally, I just got sick of the music business. And I was like, I don't want to do this shit anymore. I'm so sick of telling people, you know, yeah, you know, like almost lying to their face because they're not reading the fine print. And I got these dudes who will get a $100,000 advance and they're going to do immediately what? Buy a Rolex, buy a Mercedes Benz. Now they got no money and they need money to live. And like, I oh, don't worry about it. We're going to you know, work it out. And like, they don't realize that there's so many other things you got to get recoup. There's there's so many things that that the record labels don't tell you and you don't know that they're not knowledgeable in business. 
So, you know, it just got to a point where I was really just over the music business. I took a year off. I traveled the world. I went to go see Korea, all Southeast Asia. I saw, you know, Europe, everywhere. Came back and I said, look, man, I need to figure something the fuck out. My cousin was a jeweler. My uncle's a jeweler. His son took over the business. I have a conversation with him. And I said, yo, I think I could do this. And I said, if I do this, though, we can't do this the Korean way, which is just a handshake, no LLC, no corporation. Yep, yep, yep. I'm like, I got to do this legit, bro. I got to put money. We have to have this split. There has to be paperwork. We can't, because my mom had been screwed over. Everyone, you know, Korean business, how they are. They just don't do, it's all, you know, verbal. So immediately, I realized my Rolodex is filled with all these celebrities or rappers. My first client was Pusha T from the Clips. My second client was Mariah Carey. Then from there, just... It snowballed. And now, I mean, shit, you know, I've done everyone. And the crazy part was because of my bay ties, me and E-40 became 10 times closer. And, you know, we just jailed. And then there were so many different things. When the Tupac movie came out, I connected again with a lot of guys from Digital Underground and everything else. And, like, the funny thing about Digital Underground is, you know, everyone knows the Humpty Dance and stuff. But when you look at that first album, Sex Packets, on the back, because you have CDs now. Back in the day, you know, you only had CDs or tapes, right? On the CD, at the bottom of the CD, there's shout-outs. And I would always look at the shout-outs. Who are they shouting out, right? They would shout-out their homies and a local boom, whatever. And remember, Digital Underground's from Berkeley and, and Oakland, right? Yep. On the bottom, it says, shout-out to like, let's say, for instance, I don't know, shout-out to Tommy Boy Records, shout-out to this, shout-out to that person, shout-out to... And no shout out to the Albany Police Station for kept they kept delaying our, our radio recording sessions, and I thought that was crazy. So me and Money B from Digital Underground, and you know we connected, and um, I knew Pac, and it just was a weird thing. Just recently, I just posted a thing on my Instagram where I said, "Look, this is the Burger King that I worked at in El Cerrito. This is the apartment I lived at. This was not no lavish shit. I lived in a very humble area. Boom, and um, I was playing RBL Posse." They're from San Francisco, you know, big group from the early 90s. And um, RBL Posse came and commented, like, then they DM me, like, never in a million. And, you know, there's three guys in the group. Two of them died. One dude's there. And he's like, bro, I heard about you. Like, I've known about you. How the fuck did you find out about us? I'm like, bro, I went to school in the Bay. You know, like, this was, Bay music is very, you know, regional. You know, you guys are really supportive of your own music. And I just, we just chopped it up. And all this bass shit is coming up now. People are like, yo, you're born and raised in LA. You got LA tatted on you. But I'm like, yeah, man, there's something special about the Bay Area, though. There's something magical about it. When Paul had said he had interviewed you and I heard you say my name, hey, tell that baller guy, that jeweler guy, we might be relatives. My eyes lit up. Like, I stopped everything. My wife was like, what the fuck's going on? Because she knows I deal with crazy shit on a daily basis. I became so electrified about getting you on this show. And we chart every week. We're in the top 40 every week. You know, I'm battling out. This show is a big show now. And, um, you know, I'm just uh, I'm just very thankful that I never stayed in my lane. I went yep. all over the place. You know, I failed. I was like that lone wolf. And I was like, fuck, you know what? Are everyone's going over here? Okay, I'm going to go over here. Let me go this way and see what happens. Everyone's like, oh, you went over there and you fucked up. Like, all right, well, cool. Look at, you know, it took some time, but... You know, I'm I'm good. Like I'm good. My kids are good. You know, where, and um, just having this these organic conversations with someone like you, who I respect so much, and I don't even know you. Just literally watch. It's that powerful. And I got my degree in cinematography from SF State. Right, Nicholas Cage's dad, Augusta Coppola, Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola. He was the the head of the. He's the head dean of the film department yeah. at SF State. 
And you know, when you edit something, the magic of editing a program, I feel like when I watched the whatever it was, Alabama or nothing of Last Chance You, I just wasn't interested. The first scene when you see the bridge and you see in just the town and you see everything, you see even the police officers talking about, hey man, it's gentrified now. This this city's about to be a different place in five years. And I remember this and I'm watching, I'm like, I'm I'm completely sunk in. And all that with the editing, the way, like I'm thinking I watched the first game when you guys play against Modesto. I'm like, oh, they about to tap that ass. 13-0, oh, it's about to be. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second. Like I'm thinking there's some fucked up shit. Like there's gonna be something. Go back, rewind. No, look at there was a. I was like they lost, and I'm like, oh shit, this dude just came back. Coach Bean came back from having a ring, and now they got an L. Lose the quarterback. I'm like, oh my god, this is like a fucking nightmare. This is there's so much adversity, and this dude is about it. Like I'm watching you lead these guys into like war, you know, and just it just hit me a different way, man. Um, I've never done an interview over 45 minutes. We're hour and 17 now and we could go all night, but it was just, that was, I just always had drive. You know, I always had ambition. I had adversity as well and I had failure. And I think the failure was my best lessons and, um, being hard headed, having a chip on my shoulder. I feel like I just relate to a lot of the players on your squad or your, your previous squad. And, you know, we're here now, man. Well, I appreciate, you know, listen to you talk. You know, you talk about all these things, and we, you know, we're long, but like Digital Underground, one of my players was one of the people that helped Digital Underground, Chris Burgard. You know, he went to Cal. And, you know, all these different things you talk about, we have a connection. We don't even know it, right? It's cosmic, medic type of thing, you know, like, God, yeah, the cosmos are talking. And then think about this. This is what I always think about like, as a Korean, right? We're not Japanese. We're not Chinese. We're, that, we're the underdogs, right? We got a little <laughs> peninsula, right? That but, right, we're the vicious ones, right. but we do have a hustle, right? My Korean, like I'm a hustler, right? Like I said, I paid for my daughter to get through Stanford as a public school teacher. You hear what I'm saying? I got a house. I got, you know, I got things because I've always hustled. I always had multiple. They, they said I was Jamaican. I had so many jobs. I said, no, I'm not Jamaican. I'm Korean. That's why I got so many jobs. True. You talk about the swap meet, you know, we hustle, man. We find ways. I got his, one of my ex-players. He ended up going to New York, making tons of money in the real estate. And I asked him, I was like, well, how did you do all that? He said, Coach, you taught me. I said, I taught you that. Remember how you used to make us hustle that candy at school and sell that candy? Buy it at Costco, sell it, boom, boom, boom. That ain't no different. I'm just selling real estate. No different, right? I'm giving them something they want. You know, I, instead of Skittles, I might go with the Snicker today, right? Then I give them a bunch of Snickers, and then I come back, I double the price on the Skittles because they ain't seen them in a while, right? So that's the same thing you taught me. And so those things are all kind of an interesting thing. So I'm really glad that we got a chance to meet. Um this is awesome. I mean, it's like we, we're sitting at the house right now, you know, neither of us are drinking because we don't have red faces. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> so I, know, I know that what, what you're sipping on, right? When you said Jolly Ranches, I was kind of cracking up at Beverly Hills. Did you do the Jolly Ranches in a cup, man, make them some syrup? <laughs> nah, they were, they were about that life then, you know, but. You know, but it was just funny, but I think that it's, it's a good deal. So I'm really glad that we got connected. I hope we can stay connected. And, uh, if you're ever up in the Bay, let's go Let's go break some bread at, at you know, Everton Jones, man. You'll love let's it. Let's do it, man. You know, can you do me a favor? Tell the followers what your Instagram name is. I think I'm at Coach John Bean. You don't even know. <laughs> okay. So go. look, man, I think follow. I'm at Coach John Bean. And my, my biggest thing is I tell everybody, I'm two claps ready, ready. So let's get rocking and rolling, Lanny Bill, baby. Yep. Come on now. Two clap, two clap. Uh, so look at man John again thank you so much for blessing the microphone I really do appreciate this we're gonna edit this up real quick man and get this out of here uh, yo Miles man let's go to a break real quick and throw me on some Lakey Lake and uh, guys we'll be right back
Co. I hope you guys like that interview. Like I said, if you haven't seen Last Chance, you please. That season only, the Laney College season. That show hit me different because my bay ties. It's just a, the way you know me. Just watching the way he coaches and just watch that shit was just captured perfect. Especially the whole essence of of, of Oakland and everything. And uh, when I heard that Coach Bean was Korean, it changed shit for me. And the fact that he told me right now that his assistant coaches are from SF State and from Cal, from Albany, like I'm tied in with this man. Like I can't fucking wait to connect with dude, you know. And by the way, I really do think I think people are full of shit, right? I really do think that he could definitely speak at a major, any major university, and definitely hit a lot of people with big motivation. Um, continuing on with football. As you guys know, this episode has been brought to you by mybookie.ag. Make sure you please use the promo code behind the baller. New accounts only. You will get up to $1,000 in free play. They will match your first deposit. It's a good fucking deal, y'all. I've been making some bread on mybookie.ag and it's not a joke, all right? So guys, get your pens out because here are my NFL betting picks for the weekend. Now, as you may or may not know, my Seahawks got a bye week. Uh, there is no Thursday night game tonight. Uh, there are two big Monday night football games, but I'll speak on that in the weekend wrap-up. So, yo, here we go. I got the Chicago Bears plus one versus the Panthers. All right. I got the Detroit Lions minus three versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. I got the Tennessee Titans minus three versus the Texas Texans or the Houston Texans. I'm sorry. I got the New York Giants minus two and a half versus the Washington football team. I got the Pittsburgh Steelers minus three versus the Cleveland Browns. Got the Cincinnati Bengals plus eight versus the Indianapolis Colts. I got the Denver Broncos plus 10 versus the Patriots. I got the Dolphins minus 10 versus the Jets. I got the Packers minus one versus the Bucks. I got the LA Rams Minus three and a half versus the bitch ass 49ers. Sorry, Miles. <laughs> and I got the Baltimore Ravens minus eight versus the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, who will remain undefeated after week six? I don't fucking know. Anyways, um, now on to the hobby and a little bit about bbdtc.com. Uh, I really hope that some of you folks do know what the fuck that means, right? Obviously, BBDTC stands for Ben Body the Chain. Um, tomorrow, Friday morning, I am finally dropping some merch. Um, I'm going to be doing a shock drop with the tees. You know, those BBTTC Bay Area box tees and my LA box tees. Very limited. Just 24 tees of the Bay, 24 tees of the LA. They'll go real fast. Um, There's only XL and large available. They will go on sale tomorrow morning around 10 a.m. I dropped the prices just so that homies could have them, you know what I'm saying, and, and um, kind of switched up the tees for the L.A. boxes, so you have to see it's a surprise. Uh, I'm going to be dropping some fire-ass Ben Baller to the Chain diamond letter tees in about a week. Sometime next week, I'm definitely going to drop those, but also I'm finally dropping those mouse pads, the ones that say this is not your practice life. They are super high quality. They're thick. They're really nice. I'm using one right now as I'm on this microphone looking at my laptop notes. Um, I only made a hundred, so they're limited, you know. Um, like again, they say this is not your practice life in bold letters. You know, look, who doesn't want to see some motivational shit while they're on their computer, right? Um, also dropping the this is not your life 
post-it notepads and uh, only made 50 of those. I just made those for fun, you know, but they're pretty dope too. I use those, of course. And who doesn't need some fucking post-its, right, to remind themselves? Uh, I restocked the Blue Bic BB um, lighters and I'm selling for the first time the red OG Ben Body the chain lighters. Uh, only made 100, so those are gonna go very fast too. Uh, look, guys, I am looking very forward to meeting everyone who bought an LA box. I'm meeting five of you guys tomorrow and five of you guys on Saturday. My San Diego hobby boxes go on sale next Friday, the 23rd. Remember, there are only 10. You gotta pick them up in San Diego. I cannot wait to meet my Dago fans. Now, if you didn't know, now you know. I just dropped my 15th card of Project 2020. All right, card 15. We are almost done with this fucking thing. And I'll be honest with you, I can't wait because it's been a long fucking project. Roberto Clemente, you know, a very big fixture in the Puerto Rican community, a Pittsburgh legend. Uh, make sure you pick up my card on tops.com. Uh, for the motivation on this card, I, first thing I thought of was Mac Miller. And uh, I used, you know, gold borders. I had a lot of gold in this card. And I used some of the jewels from Mac Miller's grills as inspiration for this card. You know, I used some of it. Like he has a little, the little sun, you know, a little sundial, um, the little ruby and shit, right? And the Pittsburgh P, obviously it's fucking Pittsburgh Pirates, right? And uh, I added the Boricua flag, you know, on there for obviously for Clemente. And uh, in the background, I got the Pittsburgh skyline, and of course, I added the Roberto Clemente bridge. You know, there's two bridges there and everything, right? And uh, again, there's a lot of gold on this card for obvious reasons. So this card is on sale until Saturday morning. So please go cop. I'm doing a super dope ass giveaway for this card. In fact, fuck it. I'm just gonna let you guys know here before I even fucking say it on Twitter. I'm gonna give away a gold Ben Baller money counter to one random person, okay? All you gotta do is buy one card. I mean, it could happen with one, but the more cards you buy, the better your chances, right? Um, one of the dudes who won, he he bought fucking 27 cards. No idea why he bought two extra when there's usually a 10 pack and five pack, but he bought 27 cards and he bought a Chi won a chain. Obviously you get better chances with, with more because you have more raffle entries. All you gotta do is screenshot your receipt, send it to card at gmail.com. Yeah, man, that fucking Ben Baller gold money counter. You know, it's never coming out ever again. I'm not doing it again. That is it. So this is a fucking big prize. I can't wait to show you guys this drop that I got for Black Friday. Um, it is exclusive to Network App. And I also have a sick collab dropping with Collect and Select. Can't wait to show you guys that shit. It is fucking fire. And oh yeah, by, by the way, when you guys see this Seattle Mariners diamond chain that I made and that I'm giving away for my Ken Griffey job, yo, this shit is crazy. Literally, game over, all right? And that shit is, man, Seattle's just gonna be lit. I cannot fucking wait. Um, Keeping with baseball, yo, the Dodgers. You know, I gotta fucking, I have like heart palpitations right now because these motherfuckers, okay? Yo, they need to stop fucking playing games. I'm in Texas, Jock going off on them, you know what I'm saying? But yo, game two had me sick to my stomach, all right? But game three was payback. I don't know what the fuck was going off my guy Kershaw in game two. The back spasm or anything else. We just went, man, this shit was ugly. You know what? But last night, game three, we paid the Mac 10 times worse, right? We showed them fuck dicks what time it was. And that's the blue crew that I know, okay? 
by the way, if you didn't know, it's fucking Jocktober. It ain't October, it's Jocktober. My boy Young Jock down the three-run homer last night. Hit that bitch out, okay? We crushed those motherfucking Atlanta Braves last night, you know? It's a seven-game series. So we just need to, you know, maybe it's going to go six. Maybe it's going to go seven games. I don't fucking know. But we're down right now one to two. We need three more wins. And then it's the World Series. And, yo, we'll be fucking amazing. You know, well, we'll see what happens. I'm not going to speak on it. But, look, man, I'm down for whatever. I hope fucking, I don't know. I think Houston lost last night. I'm not sure. I'm going to check and fucking fuck Houston. Also, you know what? Before I sign off, man, because this has been a great episode and it's been a long one, you know, so I just want to wrap things up. But look, I'm getting a lot of DMs and comments from folks asking me if I like LeBron now. And I'm like, I'm like, whatever with dude. I don't hate him. You know, I said my piece after Kobe died. You know, even KD, Kevin Durant, he hits me in my DM. He's like, oh, so what's up, man? You're a LeBron fan now? I'm like, what the fuck out of here. What, the, what are you talking about? I love my Lakers. Okay. Did he bring us a chip? Yeah, kind of did, sort of did, I guess, right? But I still think AD did more than LeBron did in the playoffs, all right? And AD was a big fucking big, big, big part of it. But Bron, he did his thing, man. I ain't gonna lie, you know? It's weird, but, you know, I don't know. People asking, oh, you know, to repeat, it's even tougher. You know, it's way harder to, to, to win the second year and repeat. What? Man, look at People say, oh, I don't know if you guys can repeat, you know? It, it, it's gonna be 10 times harder. I say shut the fuck up, dick breath. You know, the team that we had that won this championship, they're a good team. On a one to 10, I give them like eight and a half, okay? They're not a great team, right? We had LeBron and we had fucking, uh, what do you call it? We had LeBron, we had AD. Um, some people show, showed up, some people didn't. I will say Rondo definitely did. He did show some veteran experience. Um, KCP, he he earned his, his money for sure. But man, we could easily be a great team next year. We could be way better than this team next year. And that means we definitely going back. And that shit's about to start up soon. So this is crazy. I don't know, man. And now, this is what's fucking bothering me right now. Everyone is doing these fucking comparisons between LeBron and Michael Jordan. All right, man, could you stop? The man, knock it the fuck off, okay? I love comparisons, right? But And you can't compare these two. So imagine if they made a 4,000 horsepower factory Ferrari Testarossa, all right? And that motherfucker had steering of a fucking GT3 RS. It had 12 speakers in that bitch. It had two 15-inch subs and everything, right? And LeBron James is a 488 Pista. <laughs> fuck First of all, I shouldn't have smoked before I started podcasting, all right? I'm fucking high as shit. You just can't compare the two, okay? One thing I'll say is, look, LeBron James is not a savage. He just ain't a savage, man. LeBron will not, he just won't punch a motherfucker in the mouth. You know what I'm saying? LeBron will not punch a motherfucker in his throat, okay? LeBron will not squeeze another player's dick and be like, fuck you, bitch, you ain't shit, motherfucker. Elbow him in his stomach, punch, kick him in his fucking ass, all right? He don't have that killer instinct. He won't put them to sleep, all right? MJ would do that shit. You know, LeBron wants to be friends with his opponents. He wants to be friends with them. Oh, let's be cool after. MJ didn't want to talk to nobody. He wasn't trying to be your fucking friend. He'll call you, bitch, shut the fuck up. Be soft. He's like, you can't even get to his hotel room. He wasn't trying to be cool with nobody. He'll stay inside and avoided fools, right? You know, except maybe his teammates and that's it. And even his teammates, he, look how hard he went on his teammates. Jordan would piss on your lunch and eat it right after. 
that motherfucker was a beast. All right, he wasn't trying to be nobody's buddy buddy. Man, I just miss the days of hazing. You know what I'm saying? And it happened to me. It's just part of life. And it, it, people are like, oh, what is, what is hazing? Is that a synonym for bullying? No. All I'm saying is some motherfuckers deserve to get socked and slapped up. Okay? It's actually good for them. All right? <laughs> and on that note, this show is done. This episode is done. All right, yo. Guys, I love you guys for real. No cap. For real. I really love you guys. Please hit that subscribe button if you have not already. And do me a favor. This is your weekend project, okay? This is your homework. Please tell at least three people about this show. All right, y'all. God bless. Always make it a great day. Yo, Lakey Lake, please take us out of here, homie. All right, y'all. Peace. Peace.